And this is part two of the Psychology is Dead Best Wrestlers of the 2010s Countdown Extravaganda. Uh, I am Quentin Moody. It has been a long day. If you guys have any access to the internet or a tel- or, or, or television and you see what is going on just about an hour and some change away from me in, uh, in D.C., so a lot going on, a lot that I imagine is on a lot of people's minds, but Tim, we're here to <laughs> move past that yeah. and talk about something, you know, just, just some, just some wrestling and wrestling is bad, but you know, I guess, I guess, I guess wrestlers and wrestling bring some kind of comfort to us in a really weird time. So we're here to do our 30 to yeah, our our thirty to ten, our thirty to eleven tonight, and then do our top tens on the third installment here. But Timothy, how are you on this strange, strange day? <sighs> About I'm trying to do. I'm trying. I'm okay. <laughs> I'll just say that I'm fine. It's nuts. It's yeah. I was yeah. I mean, I messaged you. I was like, I don't even know if you're up for it. You know. I mean, fuck. Who knows? But it's. It's crazy. It feels like there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? Um, it's also like all the stuff going on with the vaccine. I mean, with working in healthcare, that's like all over the place for me to be dealing with it. Um, luckily, nothing insane is happening in LA like is happening in New York with the like what they're talking about penalizing for giving the vaccines to the wrong people and stuff like that. But yeah, it's like it's a it's a lot going on right now. It's it's very stressful and i think yeah uh, moving forward i guess yeah i mean that's all we can that's all that's all we can do and uh you know we got some images that are gonna last forever like this is stuff you know some it's it's funny that like i feel like a lot of times as people that like you know just living walking the earth just existing at certain points in time like you know we always get told hey like to appreciate what you're seeing in front of you, because like you might be witnessing history, like when you like people when people when people talk about like uh, the Golden State Warriors and their like run of greatness or something like that. Appreciate LeBron James, like 
you're like what you're witnessing history you should appreciate history and not be like so adamant on tearing it down or being a contrarian or trying to make it seem like it's not that special and like the same kind of applies here is like we're like living in shit that's gonna get taught and mentioned in books for hundreds of years from now yeah yeah that's true i mean yeah we were talking about before but like revolutions and historic i mean this is you know it's not like you know french disfenestration or anything crazy like that but it's you know it's about as close as we've gotten in the last like hundred years here in america really really uh guess trying stuff especially like how how close i how close i am relatively yeah. to this stuff but with all that out the way all that being said we're here to resume the top 50 so timothy are you ready to go i am ready all right so who was your third who was your 31 before when we, when we left jay off? white jay white okay the new iwgp uh, and uh world and uh television champion after last no he uh i did watch the match but he did not unfortunately spoiler alert to anyone <laughs> Listening to this, he did not win the title um, from Kota Ibushi last night. Uh, well, champ- champion of our hearts. Yes, exactly. Uh, we love you, Jamie. Um, <laughs> my number 30 is Kyle O'Reilly. Okay, yeah, I had him at 34. All right. Kyle, like you, like you mentioned it, from like the outset of the decade, Kyle was in Future Shock. So, he's someone that really, when you, like, like, we talked about it when it came like when it came to top end guys here, and some and there's a lot of cases against certain guys because they just miss certain times and not there's not much footage, whatever it is like there there's a case against them really. Kyle O'Reilly's one of the rare guys where like there's no real gap from 2010 all the way through the end of 2019. This guy was there and prominent in every place he was, and. He did it as a singles guy, eventually getting that, eventually getting that type of run in PWG and ROH, and the ROH one being long overdue, really, as a tag team guy, doing that and doing that in both, well, doing that in all, uh, Future Shock, Red Dragon, the Undisputed Era with both with both uh, Bobby Fish and Roderick Strong, and constantly Bobby, uh, constantly Kyle O'Reilly was. Just he 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 always delivered that style in what you call the most palatable way, like even more palatable than someone like Zach, with the way Kyle mixed in striking and I guess the more uh, MMA based influence there. Kyle became the much more palatable guy for that for that kind of style, and he was so adaptable too because of his because of his striking, because of his comeback sequences and his signature spots. Kyle was always a guy that was super adaptable and really could have been anything he wanted to be. I think people forget that in 2015, when they have that best of Super Juniors final against Kushida, Kyle O'Reilly came out just as strong in that match as Kushida did, to the point where I really do think that if Kyle O'Reilly stuck around in New Japan, we'd be talking about him We'd be talking about him as being a guy that's in G1s and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. They really did think highly of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell from even from the start the way that they treated the the Red Dragon team. They protected them so much. They clearly wanted to do something with him. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like Kyle. A lot of his career, even though he did eventually meet, reach mountaintops in PWG and in ROH, and he's get, he's kind of getting there now in NXT. But Kyle, 
is a guy that always rises to the top. Even being surrounded by talented people, even be, being surrounded by your Roderick Strongs and your Adam Coles, your Bobby Fishes and other contemporaries among 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 that time, he always just rises to the top. And I think there's something to be said about a guy that in every promotion that he that he winds up in, that he becomes this undeniable guy that's viewed as maybe like the like the like the sneaky best worker on the roster. His resume speaks for itself when he when he left from when he left from ROH and he went there went out there and had amazing matches in Evolve with Fred Ye- with Fred Yehi and Keith and Keith Lee, and it speaks for and it speaks for itself in NXT where when he gets the chances to go out there and have singles matches he kills it and then with Roderick Strong the matches that the matches that they had uh with uh only with only with only Lurkin and Denny Birch even the even the stuff with Bobby Fish that he always is a guy that delivers to the highest capability and you can't deny him. And it's weird to think about Kyle and the criticisms of him and uh, how people, a lot of people get, maybe get, maybe get, may get annoyed by him and uh, what they think is giving into his bad tendencies. But for all that being said, Kyle is so extremely talented that any promotion you place him in is guaranteed. Kyle is going to become one of those guys. Yeah, definitely, and and you mentioned it, but it was it was for sure a standout. Was that kind of that little foray into the the world outside of uh, ROH when he um when he left in between and had that little bit of time after he basically gets signed to uh to take off. Um and yeah, like the evolve stuff was really really good, and it was like it was so interesting to see because I I was following him obviously in PWG. I saw most of his run in PWG live. Um, and like as a singles guy basically um and like to see that like oh fuck he could have been doing like the pwg thing everywhere if he had not been kind of tethered to roh so much yeah like he could have been that top indie wrestler all over the place and like you mentioned it new japan would have liked him then he goes back to to, he goes to nxt and it almost feels like yeah like oh they're doing the same thing but now now he's starting to To put it together, yeah, it, felt, it felt like a reset. Like you know, for all for everything that Kyle O'Reilly did accomplish, they bring him in with the Undisputed Era as a group, and it's like, damn, here we go. Kyle O'Reilly's back to being that guy, and it's like, even as Adam Cole like does his thing, being like the face of the group, Kyle O'Reilly was always that. Like even like Roderick Strong, Roderick Strong had his moments where he was a singles guy, and he and he was looking like, oh, Roderick Strong might be the best wrestler in NXT. Adam Cole's the face of it, but Kyle Kyle O'Reilly was always there. And that says so much about him that despite being behind, theoretically, guys with like, you know, a legend like Roderick Strong and such a strong personality in Adam Cole, that Kyle O'Reilly always had that kind of feeling that once they let him loose, he's going to kill it. Yeah, definitely. And it's it feels like we we're possibly getting there now. Um, it's interesting because, yeah, I feel like I like like. Like when the Future Shock breakup feud, I liked him more in the matches. I felt like he kind of came out of the feud looking better, but yeah. then he still like ends up shrinking, you know, and goes back into another tag team, and then Adam Cole becomes a huge star. Um, so it's just like it's very odd to think about that that thing with Kyle, where he he's a really good wrestler. Like even like again, like you're talking about a New Japan. I mean, they're not having Bobby Fish have big singles matches and junior runs with like Kushida and Kushida saying that you know that he considers Kyle O'Reilly his favorite opponent and all that, which it's interesting. Yeah, like, we haven't uh, like, seen that. Like a whole, a whole, yeah, a whole touring match. Like from, they, like they went from new Japan, did it in our wish. They did it in Rev Pro. Like 
God, like Bobby Bobby Fish isn't doing that. Bobby Fish is doing that shit. Right, but it is. It does feel like he he kind of be, it takes the backseat and the personality and the character, and you kind of he he goes you know to the background and you don't notice him as much in the tag team. But he re- repeatedly is the best wrestler of his groups, but gets overlooked because of that, like the idea that he doesn't have any personality. And more and more people are starting to appreciate him, and and they're into the, what he's doing in NXT now character personality wise I personally don't really like it <laughs> like playing the championship belt like an air guitar doesn't work for me but if it's helping get him over and people are into him then I'm, I'm definitely into it because yeah he's nothing but potential even still at this point and it's kind of crazy to think how long he's been wrestling because as you said he's got the full decade and he was wrestling even before that but this guy's been around for over 10 years um, and still just a ton of potential that is yet to be tapped so we'll see where he ends up from there um, my number 30 is, I guess the opposite. I mean, there's not really much potential left. These guys are pretty much done, but my number 30 is the Briscoe brothers. Okay. I didn't really think about the Briscoes just because of, uh, Jay and how they eventually kind of like split up and we're doing their own thing for a little bit, but I'm not mad. I'm not mad at this at all. Yeah. I mean, there's, there is the Jay heavyweight championship run and there's a lot of singles work in there um during that time mark is also having really good singles matches on tv and stuff but if you look over the entire decade i mean they are one of the constants for for tag team wrestling on the independence and roh of course uh specifically um they had a little bit of a hiccup where they where they were out of roh before in like the 2000s but for the 2010s they were solidly in roh the entire time and they were solidly the workhorses at all times only up until maybe 2017 18 you like in that range do they start to like miss a step but there was a time where i mean you could go even into the mid 2000s and say up until like 2016 i'll say like just to be let's say 2017 like you could say like mid 2000s until 2017 jay and mark briscoe if they're gonna have a match it's gonna be a fucking banger they were consistent workhorses so you know that's like the 2010s so it's like seven years with like a couple of years there of focusing on jay as a singles wrestler but even still when they would have tag team matches they would be delivering so it's just like consistency tag teams across the board anywhere they show up that really i've talked about before that but like early 2010s roh had that amazing um tag division that you know everyone has talked about like the best tag division in wrestling best tag division in years in wrestling um comparatively it had been a long time since there was a division that deep and that strong and like the kings of wrestling a lot of times were at the top as the champions you had the world's greatest tag team that were kind of the flash the xwwe guys but to me that whole time when roh had a tag division that was worth lauding and talking about the briscoe brothers were the crown jewel of the tag division i mean they were the 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 glue they were the connective tissue that like made it call back to the original glory period of roh um because they had been there from the beginning they weren't day one guys but close enough um on top of being phenomenal as a tag team having great matches and then also like having that gravitas and feeling important that's why i say like they were the reason why it felt like that you were able to have a tag division that was referred to that strong uh and being that good like yes the kings of wrestling really good yes uh world's greatest tag team really good all night express at that time were like hitting really hard but the thing that made it feel like a division that was worthwhile was having stalwarts like the briscoe brothers that made it feel important they they put a lot of gravitas into making the division seem important and they continued 
to be important. A uh, few matches here and there in PWG 2010s. They don't have a lot of matches in PWG. They they do have the CZW tag team titles for a while in the 2010s. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, great matches across the board. Um, you know, want to include not include the single stuff necessarily. Um, you know, I, I that's fair or unfair, however you want to look at it. If I'm putting them as a, a single. As a, as a unit, but uh, there is some good stuff there as well. And like I said, they they never re- they don't have a breakup. There's never like a separation. Even when Jay is the champion, he's he, you know Jay like, like, Briscoe of the Briscoe Brothers yeah. is the champion. Yeah, but it's kind of like Jay went like like you remember like Jay kind of went power crazy, right? And like that does that's like so that's why I was thinking maybe like I didn't know how you wanted to include them because. Even was it a hard breakup, there was even a title defense against Mark yeah. because Jay was going crazy. Yeah, I mean, there was still definitely a feud, and there was still definitely, like, some... And I mean, fuck, that was some of Jay's best promo and character stuff of all time, really. Yeah, I, mean, lo- lo- loved the, I, I loved the promo he cut on Mark. That was yeah. incredible shit. Yeah, but that time period where Jay was starting to feel like, yeah, like he's losing his grip a little bit, and he was not even necessarily completely, like, power crazy, but, like persecuted he had like a complex where he felt like like everyone was against him and he was the man on his own but even still like i said it was it was jay briscoe of the briscoe brothers was world champion at all times he never felt like a separate character or separate person he was always still like a part of the briscoe brothers even when they were feuding with each other they were still brothers you know and it was treated that way it wasn't ever treated like there was a chance that they would break up and not be the briscoe brothers you know so there's that then there's the um the stuff in new japan i mean they have some good stuff in new japan really um, they, they do one of those bucks tags is really good yeah they got bucks tags they got stuff with like uh the gorillas of destiny um they actually they get the never open weight title run with toro yano stuff which is there's like actually some some really fun matches there that was like during the time period where yano was a. Uh, not just like treated as completely just like you know one note character thing that he is like he was you know he's always kind of been a comedy guy for a while at least but uh but it was like uh treated a little bit more seriously throughout there yeah so i mean really really kick-ass team um like i said consistent everywhere oh i didn't even talk about they had some wxw stuff throughout the decade um, here and there that was pretty good. So yeah, I mean, all over the place, anywhere they go, but obviously, yes, the like focal point is ROH and always felt like the hottest act certified, like going to be your best or second best match on any big ROH show for most of the decade. You could say like a couple of years where they weren't quite at that level anymore, but for most of the decade, it was like if they, and they can just show up anywhere. That's the other thing too. It's like, they can be in the same company for over a decade and still have that gravitas and that importance, or they can show up randomly and wrestle like a CMLL show or like I said, WXW or wherever they can just pop up and still feel important. And it's a big deal that, Oh fuck. I didn't even think about the NWA, the, the title tournament and NWA, like when they were reestablishing the tag team titles, they were a big important part of that as well. Um, being basically the big heels of the whole tournament. Yeah. So it's like anywhere that they could pop up, they bring importance and they bring, like the work they make a make everything feel important and they bring like kick-ass matches all right my number 29 is t-hawk okay i uh did not get t-hawk um thinking about it he's probably a guy that could have been in there but uh just did not did not uh 
for me didn't make the list. Um, a guy that have all the talent in the world and is just as talented as you know the top percentile of wrestlers going, but just couldn't catch a break when it came when it came to like you know whether when it was when it was make or break time, uh, with it, with his, with his uh, with his push and how far the, and how far Dragon Gate was gonna go with him. From the time, from the times that we do see him early on as Tomahawk, as Tomahawk TT, um, and eventually the forming of Millennials. Millennials comes in and they just blow the doors off, man. Millennials is just incredible, incredible trios, incredible trios, incredible tag stuff. Even the single stuff that we do get in like King of Gate and other stuff, just coming in there and. You know, in, in a in a good time in Dragon Gate too, I would say they like you know between Monster Monster Exp- Express, Mad 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 Blanky, Dia Hearts, and then you know the the Millennials being here, Millennials being here, you know other than Monster Express, like you can you can even kind of argue Millennials was better than Monster Express as far as like like in ring output. Millennials was on fire. Yeah, and a lot of that and, and, and a lot of that being T Hawk and what T Hawk brought to it, you know. Kind of the heir to Shingo in that in that in that power junior kind of way, you know, he had a, he had a different dimension to Shingo as Shingo was straight up more power junior and T Hawk kind of had the Yave, uh, had the Yave training. So on top, so on top on like you know with him having that base already of as a strong, fast guy who can do a bunch of power moves, he had that kind of mat work that made him that made him stand out too. And from the Twin Gate reign with Ata. The all, all the all the various uh king of king of gate and king of chop king of chop tournaments that he was in, and just how he rose up the card and how consistent he was. T Hawk was fucking incredible, and then we get to 2015, and we're in a situation where they don't go all the way with T Hawk, and it kind of and it like it fucks up like completely what they have going on here you know the the, the, the millennial millennials gets disbanded um and he, he's, a, he's a man without a man, man without a country for a little bit then join then joins monster express and eventually joins uh berserk but t-hawk is a victim of this idea that he didn't have enough charisma to uh, make an impact or charisma to be the top star, or charisma to be a draw, or be beloved, or whatever. And a lot of that is the Dragon Gate audience is kind of, um, especially at that time, was very adamant on clinging on to the to, to the you know the the core six, those top guys of your Mochizukis, your your, Sh- your Shimas, your Shingos, your Shinos, Doys, and that kind of stuff. And who, how much of it was was an excuse from those guys to keep to you know to remain in the in the spotlight? How much of it was on the audience? How much of it was on T Hawk? I don't know, but I feel like like the like the least blame goes to T Hawk there. You know, we see how we see how they how they push forward with bet with Benkei. Like, there's no reason why they couldn't have been T Hawk because T Hawk at least you know when you put him out there and like you know give him a chance to go, T Hawk can go, and really. Dragon Gate never got behind in the way that they should have, but in spite of all that, T Hawk had great matches. Even in Monster Express, the stuff that we do get with him and Big Arshimizu, it's fucking great. It's really, it's really good. What we what we get between what we get between uh 
those what we get with those two while while they're while they're in Monster Express. When he leaves and goes to Berserk, he is great. He has a lot of great matches. The Takahiro Yamamura match stands out in particular. Um, him being the one that deals the final blow to the Jimmies. He like T Hawk does so much good shit, but eventually is this realization that they were just never gonna go all the way with him. And then once Shima and the rest and the, and the rest of Stronghearts leaves, he goes all he goes all over the place. Great match, great matches in DDT, and the, the cherry on top really being the rest the Russell One stuff as he comes in in the stuff with Shotaro Ashino, Jiro, Shuji Kondo, and shows you what Seahawk could have been if given a chance to just be that guy, like beloved. He was loved. He was a heel. They were the invading force in Wrestle 1. And here they are. And here he is facing uh, Shotaro Ishino. And the crowd is molten hot for him. T-Hawk could have always been that. But for whatever reason, they just didn't give him the chance by having all the talent in the world. Proving himself time and time again. They made up excuse after excuse after excuse to not go with T-Hawk. And it's a shame. Because if they did, he could have been higher on this list. Like I said, he's just as talented as anybody on here. But... The cards fell how they fell, and T Hawk really will never get a chance to be the to, to, to be the guy that I think everyone knows he could be. But what we do have is a guy that you know gave you great unit, gave you great giant tags, eight man tags, six man tags, straight up tags, singles, main events, quick stuff, sprints, whatever you whatever you want, you name it. T Hawk has done it. T Hawk is great at it, and. He's a guy that deserves more. Yeah, I, I thought about some of the early millennial stuff when I was putting together the list. I thought about T-Hawk um, and Ada as well, but neither one of them. I, I would assume maybe Ada ends up later on your list. Uh, doesn't make it on my no, list. No, 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 no Ada, I feel like he okay. kind of fell off as to where T-Hawk, like, yeah. despite everything, T-Hawk was good always. That's that's very fair. Um, it is interesting to think about that because, the, the you know, the, the thing was always that Dragon Gate, like you said, wasn't ready to push people other than the the main six kind of the big six guys uh for so long that someone like t-hawk never got his push but but uh since the exodus it seems like they're pushing they're really more open especially this past year into pushing brand a lot of new talent and it's just it's crazy to think because it's like you know the main people who left are sima and uh shingo and sima more of the person in control but it's like that wouldn't really account for why T-Hawk never got pushed because T-Hawk was like Shima's guy. Like you would think if anything that if if the reason why young people weren't getting pushed was because of Sima and the second that he leaves they start pushing young guys that he would have still pushed T-Hawk. But whatever. It but 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 it's but but it's weird but it's weird because it's like like I remember when you know when iHeartDG was around like there was this thing about T-Hawk not being that good of a promo, but again, like. You, they also went with fucking Ben K. Right. After all that stuff happened, so which one is it? You can't really keep making that excuse. Like they went with Ben K. Yeah. And just and just and and, ju- and just now they had Shun Skywalker. Shun Skywalker went about. Right. So like, what exactly was the excuse? Like, and to me, like as we get more and more removed from it years down the line, because like, Mochizuki's still there, Yoshino's still there, Doi's still there. Like, there's still other guys that have more um uh, seniority there and here we are and ben k and shun skywalker have held, have held the belt in the last two years right yeah it does i do wonder what the what the story was really because there was a lot there's a lot of people not just t-hawk t-hawk's a, the most blatant example of someone who should have got a much bigger push while he was there but there was like every one of his 
age range didn't basically everyone in millennials didn't get the push that they deserved. Um, no big, you know, even, even big, even big yeah, R. Yeah. It's like what, like, like, like how, like how did Big R like go from facing Mochizuki and pretty much like a, a de facto number one contender match to never ever getting a shot? Yeah, it's wild to think about. I don't know what the fuck was going on backstage there. Obviously, there was some political issues because it led to such a big major split. Um, and also the return of Toramon, which has been very fucking weird. Um, all right, my number twenty nine. I I'm gonna assume you have higher uh, Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, I have, I have Naito okay. higher. Um, my number twenty eight is Takashi Sagira. Um, fuck. No Sagira. Um, no, no Sagira. Damn. Okay, that's surprising because I know you, I know you're a Noah guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, um, I've I've been a Noah guy off and on, but I like I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm like a, a very focused Noah viewer. Uh, Tagashi Sagira, like, you know, not, like, you know, not the flashiest, not the most hyped up, never has been, but again, quietly, the best Noah wrestler ever, like, you know, for how long he's been there, not really missing any long, like, prolonged period of time, that's everything he's done from being a, from being a junior, all the way through, through being heavyweight, and up and on all that various stuff, he's been great for a long time, and the 2010s is no different, just... A period of greatness throughout the entire time, and you know that go that 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 really starts with him versus Takayama, um, which is just an absolute fucking war in 2010, and just go and just goes throughout the de- the decade. Uh, you know the the last you know we see of him the last we see of him versus Kenta, uh, the da- the the the, Dag- the Dagon Yankees tag team, which is. Really good, and maybe Masato Tanaka's career work, I could argue. Um, and then trans, and then transitioning back into back into single stuff, um, going going against Suzuki Goon at first, and then joining Suzuki Goon and becoming the new uh, number one number one number one guy in that unit, and in, in, in producing some in producing some good matches. And I think even I think even after that, in moving in moving forward, like him versus Nakajima from. Uh, from 2017 was just phenomenal and he goes up and down the card and can be used anywhere can be used with the younger guys can be thrown back in with the vets and he always delivers um guaranteed guaranteed good match no matter what it is it might not always be great but there there aren't many times where i'll leave a takashi sagira match i'm like oh man that was bad i didn't enjoy that one bit it He's a guy that's gotten older, you know, 50, year, 50 years old at this point. He had fucking, like, heart surgery <laughs> not too long ago. And a guy that still kicks ass and can still be awesome and be the highlight of a show in the in the right, in the right circumstance. And someone I just think the world of. And I think that people do really underappreciate this guy because he's not Kenta. He's not Marafuji. He's not Kobashi. Not Masawa. Um... He's not those guys that when you think of like the legacy of Noah that really gets mentioned at first, but like he really is Noah through and through with like no real valleys, no real low points. You know who Takashi Sagira is, you know what you're going to get from him. And he gave that to you throughout the entire decade. Yeah. I mean, you're a hundred percent right there. And honestly, it's funny you saying like, I'm a Noah guy. I think I've like 
I'm more into Noah this past year than I have been in like the past five years, probably. Um, I've watched. I've I, always... I, I say that. I say that. I say that because I know that you were that you were someone to watch like Zach's like Zach's Noah stuff. Yeah, yeah. So like, I've always so, like, watched so I, I, Noah, yeah. but I don't know how much I've been like invested in it. And to be honest, like if I was gonna have a Noah wrestler, Seguro would probably be the highest, and then like uh, Ogawa after him. Um, and then like, yeah, I mean, none of the people that you just mentioned there would be on my list and they aren't like above Segura, especially. And like, realistically, Segura should be on my list. Maybe Takayama also, both of them I thought about and I wanted to, but I just, because of like not watching a ton of them historically, like I've watched the big matches here and there, but I didn't watch like a ton of their stuff to really feel comfortable. And I didn't want to like go through the whole backlog of, of everyone's career to put together this list. There's some omissions like that. that probably definitely deserve to be on the list. Um, 28 for me. Uh, maybe you'll have a, maybe not Kushida. I do. I do have Kushida. We're going to talk about him tonight. Okay. Um, all right. Um, my number 27 is Daisuke Sakimoto. I have him higher. Um, I th- right. think we will talk about him tonight. Yeah. Um, All right. My 27 is <laughs> his tag team partner, Yuji Okabayashi. I didn't. I didn't have Okabayashi on here. I really thought about it, and I probably like him more than I like Sakamoto, uh-huh. but I didn't. I didn't have room for him on here. I can. I can see that in a weird way, but I think like I think it's easy to look at him over. And think that and that you can't look over um, Sakamoto, but like yeah, I mean, like at times maybe the better member of the team, um, like especially recently the past couple of years he's like been the more of the workhorse. His his singles title runs have been phenomenal. He has like amazing miracle matches with guys like Ryota Hanma and stuff. I mean, not to say Hanma's bad, but but Hanma works a, a certain kind of match and then. Okobayashi can make him have a totally different kind of match, which is great. Um, like, never... He never... I could definitely see also that, like, he doesn't have... He never, like, does any of the, like, annual deathmatch stuff like Sakamoto, which also, I think, bolsters Sakamoto's case. And to be honest, I have Sakamoto higher, too, personally. Um, but, yeah, I mean, again, like, he's there spot for spot, basically, in the tag team at times, like I say, he's the better member on top of that, having phenomenal, like singles matches, um, stuff like miracle work type stuff with like Daishi Hakimoto before he was good. Um, stuff like even just recently, like that match with Dylan, I was it the Dylan James match or the James. Yeah. Right. Dylan James was James. Yeah. Reagan, yeah right. Yeah. Dylan James. Yeah. The, yeah. The, everyone yeah. was going crazy, like his match of the year. And it's like, has that guy really done anything else? Not, not, no, <laughs> but like people were acting like that meant he was good. And it's like, oh, it's, it's Okabayashi. Um, like he's, like I said, he's phenomenal. Great stuff. Uh, really good at just the big meat slapping matches. And I can see overlooking him and saying like, yeah, like if you're going to put somebody f- from this vein, like Sakamoto, higher i have him higher too but uh just yeah i think that equally just as good so like pretty close honestly i think they end up relatively close on my list as well um i, I like i said i feel like I, I i feel like i like um i like okabayashi more i was looking at the totality of the 2010s and i feel like sakimoto's early 2010 stuff like does get does give him the edge a little bit but for sure, as time went on, by the time we're getting to like 2016, 2017, 2018, really, like 
Okabayashi, despite some time missed, came back and he's like incredible and has like some of the best matches of the year. Like you, like you, Yuji Okabayashi versus Takuya Nomura is one of the best matches of that year. So like you can't really say that about you can't really say that about Sakamoto as the time went on. So that's a per- that's a perfectly fine way to view it, and I don't think you're, I don't think anyone's I don't think anyone's wrong for that. Yeah, yeah, I think that it, it it's I think it's also easier to look at the early stuff from the 2010s and say that that like it really puts uh, Sakamoto over the top. But I mean, the stuff was like maybe a little bit bigger, more grandiose, and like felt more important because it was a time when like Big Japan didn't seem as like much of a small kind of little indie um, as it did later. But like the time, I mean. I think that there's just as much of a time period where Okabayashi outshines um, Sakamoto in the end of the decade, but the issue is that like it's not as important or it doesn't like have that gravitas to it. All right, um, my number, where are we at here? My number twenty-six is a guy that you haven't said yet. I'm pretty sure, but as uh, Katsuyori Shibata. Uh, I have him higher but we will get to interact. Right. My 26 is Hiromu Takahashi. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have Hiromu. Um, and I'm someone that really does like him, but I don't, I don't know. Like I just couldn't pull, couldn't pull the trigger on that. What's weird is I historically have never been a huge Takahashi fan, but I kind of looked back. I actually went this is one of the few people who I like went out of my way to really go back and check out some early stuff. And I went back and was like watching some stuff from even when he was a young lion. Um, specifically, I was like searching out matches outside of new Japan while he was a young lion pre excursion and like stuff where they had him tagging with like Liger and DDT. Um, and, uh, and like tagging with, um, with the, Got some other I can't even think of like some other matches that I had checked out. But oh like in all Japan. Um oh actually no. What am I thinking of? Um either way, I like went out of my way to look up some uh some older young lion stuff from him and like because people are go so fucking crazy for him now at this point about how good he is right now. Um so I was like, Oh, you know, I'm gonna go back and see how good he was like early on. And uh he was like really good even when he was like first yeah. starting out. Um so I was like damn like I kind of forgot um like some of that some of that stuff from uh early on in his career and uh it's fantastic from the beginning and then yeah then he goes out on um excursion and like I mean just blows the fucking roof off and like becomes like such a big like entity in CMLL to the point where like he I mean he was gone for a long time and having like a really almost felt like a full career in CMLL with especially with just like feuding with Dragon Lee primarily um so much so like I think there was a point where I was kind of like I wasn't sure he was ever going to come back <laughs> like he was one of those guys who like yeah maybe he just stays in Mexico and like makes makes a, a career from there but then he comes back and like hugely impactful obviously from the jump um joins up with Los Ingobernables and like obviously that becomes like the biggest charisma unit but like at times he's the most seems like the most popular member um always doing interesting character stuff on top of like delivering amazingly in the ring the whole time um so yeah just a guy who like yeah I think 
most his almost his entire career basically is I mean his whole career is the 2010s and uh, he's really good from the beginning even as a young lion and uh, just progressively gets better and better not just in ring but like also the charisma the character um, knowing how to play with the crowd and 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 become just this huge star so much so that like I mean he's fucking tiny <laughs> he's a very small guy and they're talking about like could he like kind of bridge the gap and, and start making it into a heavyweight he, contender level I mean like hey he, he really she really should like yeah. he's like really like like he's like one of the most popular guys in the world yeah so I mean and and he's one of the rare situations where a guy is that popular for this like kind of goofy character charisma thing but also can really really go in ring um, and just has bangers like he's consistently like when they have the best of the super juniors consistently he'll be the best one of the best performers repeatedly and this past best of the super juniors obviously it's not part of the the 2010s but really go to show that too where he had like easily like the two best matches of the entire tournament um both with the same guy and it's like that was kind of his thing any of the best of the super juniors he was in whether he was the champion or not he's kind of the focal one of the focal points and like consistently being the the best wrestler in the entire tournament so um yeah i just think like i said phenomenal from the beginning feels like he has an entire career in mexico in the span of like 45 years um and then like comes back and is like having an even bigger career uh back in back in japan um haramu is someone that i think like you know, like without the without the crowds there, really, like it's easy to forget how big of a star he how big of a star he is too. Right. Like when like when you actually see how crowds go when they see Hiromu, it's a real thing. Like when like like the excitement for Naito versus Hiromu before the before the pandemic and everything was a real thing. And I think and I think that's like the, uh, that's the thing. I'm, I'm one of the things I'm curious about as New Japan like is going forward, and you say to them like transitioning and making new stars and f- f- highlighting h- highlighting new people is that where does Hiromu fit in all that? Because you know, are they what, do they use him to make the junior division special, or is he too big for the junior division to like you know only to only be a part of that? Like who knows? Because he really is that kind of star. So. I'm curious to see as time goes on, like what, what exactly they have planned for him. Yeah. All right. My number twenty-five then is a guy that uh, you're gonna have higher is uh, Roderick Strong. Uh, no, I had Roddy already at. Uh... Oh shit! You did. You did have Roddy. Yeah, I had him. Let me see. At thirty-three. Shit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, um. So scratch that off my list of people that I've already said. <laughs> I'm building up quite right. a list here of people that uh, that uh, I've ar- that you said were higher already. So, all right, Roger Strong. Um, really, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I'll be honest. Like Roddy does have a, a little bit of a little bit of a weirder period um, early on. Early on in the decade, as ROH is going through a transformation period, and Really, uh, uh, Roddy gets like severely de-emphasized. Wouldn't that be fair to say? Yeah, he. But he's he's. I mean, there's a lot of people who had that issue because there was kind of a transitional period for ROH where they go from kind of the golden era to almost. There's like an interim pace, and then there's now where they're at now, which I would say like the the modern ROH probably started in like 2015, 16, maybe 17. There's like a period in the middle there where it's like a little bit different, and yeah, like Roddy was one of the people who seemed like 
oh, like this new ROH doesn't have a place for Roddy Strong. And I mean, that even became a storyline almost in like the redemption narrative of Roddy. But like, continue. Yeah. So for as good as Roderick Strong was in the pre- in the previous uh, decade of the of the twenty of the two thousands. As time goes on, it feels like Roderick Strong is almost like a relic of an old era at that point. At that point in time, which is weird because keep in mind, at that point, Roddy would have only been like twenty five. <laughs> like, yeah, like Roddy would have only been like twenty five. But like, it feels like at that point, Roddy would have felt like a relic of an old. It felt like at that point, Roddy was a re- was a relic of an old era, and. He's going through the 2010s, and when Roddy gets chances, he's still having good matches. He's still work. He's still working and doing good shit. But we know where it's just Tyler. It's Tyler Black. It's Davey. It's the Kings. It's the Kings of Wrestling. The Briscoes. Eventually, you're getting Steen and Generico and Eddie Edwards is here. It's like you're not really getting Roddy being given like being given these chances to go and do but like to to go do other stuff, um, and thrive. And then now we're and then now we kind of get Roddy using his time in, in, in other promotions to uh to to, uh, to to fill that. So we'll get Roddy busting his ass a little bit harder in PWG. Like remember the uh, 2013 Bola being being one that stu- being one that stood out as one Roddy kind of busting his ass a little bit harder than I have seen him recently with a- with the AR Fox and uh, Elgin matches. Oh man, um, that Fox <laughs> that that reminds me that Fox match was fucking brutal. So like you. You don't yeah. see it on the on the DVD, obviously, but I was there, and after the match, I think they go to intermission after the match, and um, and Fox lays on the ground in front of the bar for at least like ten minutes with his chest beat red, and he can't move. He just lays there. It's fucking insane what Roddy put him through. So yeah, I mean, I can attest that he was going hard that year. Yeah, and if, 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 like, as we go through 2013, 2014, that's when you start to see that that switch. Flipping Roddy was like, you know what? I'm tired of being overlooked here. So you see him; he'll do he does he does some PW he does a couple of PWX shots that year. Um, the Open the Freedom Game match against against Johnny Gargano, and the decade and the decade is forming, and you're getting and you're getting some good match and you're getting some good matches there with BJ and with BJ and Roddy teaming, but. Oh, I think I think I remember. There's a wasn't there a Biff match in FIP that ruled a lot, but I know, I know a lot of people weren't watching FIP at that point either. Um, that sounds familiar, but it might have actually been in Beyond. Okay, him and him and okay, yeah, him 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 and Biff had a had a few matches that, yeah. were, that, that were that were really good. So yeah. I can't remember which one it is. I can't remember, but I do remember them having a kick-ass match. They even had a kick-ass match in PWG. Right. Yeah. And now, now, and we and like we you mentioned it when we were talking about uh, Cedric Alexander, but the Cedric the Cedric Alexander Roddy Strong stuff was definitely a bit another one that's like, oh shit, like Roddy is pissed. Roddy is someone that almost like almost like feels like his time is ticking, kind of. Like he he like he he realized this is realizes this is his time. And again, we go through another bowler. Roddy Roddy busts his ass from. Uh, from Busick to the to the AJ to the AJ match up until the up until the final, Roddy is building and building and building the first match the first match against Kyle, um, more 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 stuff more stuff with the deck more stuff with the decade, uh, evolve work as he's still kind of in Gabeland and doing stuff with FIP and evolve, and so he get, he's facing Thatcher has a little few going on with him, and 
Roddy just keeps picking it up and picking it up. Uh, Roddy gets the PWG title. And I'll get back to that in a second. But again, here we are, early 2015. Him versus Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish. Um, facing facing the, facing these guys and just going hard on a regular basis. And then you're getting stuff like him versus Speedball. And him versus Zack Sabre Jr. And him versus Trevor Lee. And this new heel Roddy that we're getting with this kind of intensity is such a breath of fresh air. He is so mean, so brutal. Uh, all that jock dickhead energy that comes that comes from this because like, despite how his like real life personality is, and despite like his look and everything, like at no point did Roddy ever omit such raw jock energy up until this point. It just oozing out oozing out of him and it's just such a sight to see because it just goes and goes and goes and goes it just doesn't stop and he gets he he goes out there and just kills it with all the new japan guys kushida tanahashi nakamura okada whoever you want to have him go out there with uh the, the stuff with the stuff with drew galloway the stuff with jay lethal the 60 minute draw that I was there for that some people were like, oh my god, why'd they go 60? But like, that's a good fucking match. And then the TV follow-up for the, in the for the TV title. Roddy just goes hard and busts his ass in a it goes in overdrive in a way that you've never really seen wrestlers go in overdrive like that. And I don't eventually they wind up getting Roddy signed because you can't be good for that long and they don't <laughs> and they don't and they don't fucking sign you. And Roddy comes in and he ha- and he's weird at first and in, in, in NXT just like a lot of people are because they don't really know what to do, do with him yet. But once they find that stride, once they turn him heel, Roddy goes back to doing the exact same shit, being a standout, being the guy that is like you know I feel I feel like Roddy was kind of like legitimizing the the North the North, uh, the North American title, um, even though you know guys like Adam Cole and Rick and, and Ricochet had, Ricochet had held it. I feel like Roddy. I feel like Roddy did some legit, did some legitimizing for it. Um, the tag team stuff. I feel like I feel like in NXT, Roddy and Kyle O'Reilly was a better team than Kyle and Bobby Fish. Yeah, and I think and I think that Roddy could be doing more if Adam Cole wasn't the focus. And Roddy still has a lot more in the tank, a lot more to give. Could go out there and still be the guy that just like dominates all of your attention, but. Roddy, Roddy from like mid 2013 um, until, up until like really I guess like if you want to count the gap in which he was a baby face in NXT but Roddy from mid 2013 up until the end of the decade just turned on the burners and hasn't looked back in a way that many wrestlers I can't say I've ever I've, I ever seen have and it really is off the back that that PWG title run was just so fucking like legendary. The heat, the heat, like getting real heat in PWG. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that people like, like real, genuine heat, not like playful stuff. People actively disliked Roderick Strong. I mean, and there was a fight. There was a yes. fight <laughs> between crowd between members of the crowd over Roderick Heat and Roderick Promo. Like a legitimate <laughs> fist fight happened, so yeah, he was getting heat. Yeah, like, and then this, the meanness, the violence, uh, 
everything about you go watch that stuff with Trevor Lee and Mike Bailey right now, and it's just it it it's so perfect, <laughs> you know. Even the Mark Andrews stuff, even as like the rain is winding down, the Mark Andrews match um, at All Star Weekend before he drops it to Zach, it's just so fucking mean. <laughs> it's so great and wild. The Zach the Zach match from Evolve Forty Five, uh, Roddy just. Roddy just went in overdrive in that run as pretty much the wrestler of the year for me in 2015. That definitely gets a, gets him a higher placement. Uh, but yeah, man, I can't say enough about the dude. And I was so glad to see him turn turn his career around as it seemed like he was getting forgotten. And he, and he said, no, we're not doing that. I'm still way too young and still way too good to let that happen. Yeah. He, you know, he starts out the year and he's, I think he's trying, he's like, getting a couple Noah shots here and there, and I think he's trying to bulk up and be like a, a, a heavyweight junior kind of guy. I think probably he thinks that the only way he's going to get any kind of push there is if he's a little bit bigger. Um, and then you see how that, like, wears on him as the decade goes. And he talked about the ROH thing. It's kind of interesting because I was thinking about it, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, duh, the time period in the middle that's, like, the time period where Roddy was de-emphasized was, was the Pierce time. It's like there's the Gabe period. There's the Pierce period, and then there's the, I guess, Delirious Sinclair period, right? And it's like, mm. that middle period, it w- doesn't make sense because you don't, Roddy doesn't seem like a guy that Pierce wouldn't like, but you also think that, like, that's around the time period where Roddy wins the title, and they're kind of doing, like, a Ric Flair b- knockoff thing with him. And I just think that Pierce was trying to push him in a way that didn't make any sense. And I think that that was kind of part of what, like, fucked him up. But yeah, when he. He loses weight, and you can tell that he's hungry. But it does feel like the big switch, and I always kind of pointed at it, the the switch flips, and you see the difference after the injury. AJ Styles fucks him up on the, the, the Styles Clash, and then when he comes back from that, it's off to the fucking races, and it doesn't let up for... Who knows how long? I mean, basically for the rest of the decade. So, now that's that's like 2014. Styles dumps him yeah. on his neck with the Styles Clash on accident. He's out for, you know, a solid couple of months there. And then he comes back and... Which is, which is interesting because, like, I know that, like, those guys haven't worked with AJ in a long time. But, like... I know. Man, like, why did why did Roddy... Like, it's like, it's like, I, I know, like, a lot of it is instinctual shit just because, like, that's what you're taught to do. Just like you know, for for most for most basic like you know moves you take, right? But I was like, man, like you guys have worked with AJ before. Yeah, that was a weird time period. I I still to this day will say that like that whole time period and everyone blaming it on, on his opponents. I still will stand up and say like I think that there's something to it was AJ. It was partially AJ because it it was him and like it was a bunch of people, rookies or not, people who had taken the move in the past, people who hadn't were still getting hurt on it. There's something going on with AJ there. Um, I just I don't know what, but but, but 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 he wasn't off wrestling. It wasn't like AJ yeah. like took time off and wasn't wrestling. People like were on TNA taking the move, so that's why I'm like, what was it there? Because it's not like AJ was rusty. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what it was, but um, but yeah, he comes back from that injury and it's off to the races and it continues to be. I would say we're in another unfortunate situation where I think that not unfortunate. It's not exactly the same because I think that. The problem is is that in WWE, or at least in NXT, 
the way to push Roddy to excel is not the way that they're ever going to push him or present him as a character. Um, he works for what he is doing there, but like like you're talking about that jockish heel that's just intense and brutal and violent, they'll never present him that way. Um, I'd say like the closest thing that they've ever come to presenting a wrestler that way would be like a Chris Benoit character, Chris Benoit heel character, and it took them you know kicking and screaming to ever present him that way and as a credible champion. So, or, or just like Roddy, like because they don't give a shit about the about the mid card belts anymore, right? Like Roddy is the perfect United States United States title guy or Intercontinental title guy. Like there's absolutely no reason why Roddy couldn't like be a guy that was like a lin- a linchpin for those belts, right? And just go out there and give him like ten, twelve minutes, fifteen minutes or whatever, and just go out there and kill it. Yeah, they just I mean they just don't like to present characters that way. Like the kind of character... they, don't, they don't like they don't <laughs> they don't like wrestling. Yeah, they don't like a guy like him who is just like yeah, like a certain kind of wrestler that's like a wrestler's wrestler basically. Um, but that said, I mean even that babyface run in NXT, I get what you're kind of saying that it didn't he it was a hiccup from the like wrestler of the decade, wrestler of the year contender stuff he was doing repeatedly. Um, but it wasn't bad. Like I think that it might get remembered negatively, but he was good and there was good character work and promo stuff happening with that that was like the best baby face Roddy had ever been up until that point. So, you know, that's not necessarily even able to just write that off completely. I could definitely see where you're coming from that it's not like peak Roddy, but it was still very good. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you pretty much 100% on all the Roddy stuff. Um, I think that that was 25? Yeah. Alright, we're halfway through the list then here um, with my next one, and I am wondering if you have this guy or not. I kind of at this point think not. Alex Shelley. No, 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 Shelley. See, yeah. and I, I, one, one, okay. yeah, one, one of those cuts. And here's one. Of, here's my chance to do kind of. You do, and you're a TNA guy. Um, and I think <laughs> Alex Shelley starts out the year with the motor shitty machine gun stuff in TNA, and like uh, that's legendary stuff. I mean, realistically, right? Like, like goes down in history as some of the best tag team run tag team work of all time um they're like updated midnight express i think pete used to refer to it as like the best way to describe them um and they were so good at that be it heel or babyface, they could kind of switch back and forth pretty easily um and it didn't really matter depending on who they were working um always great as baby faces obviously against uh bigger opponents um and like stuff like the beer money feud again like legendary goes down in history stuff like having good matches with like team 3d when they're like i mean both of them i mean i don't know team 3d is a weird one because i want to say that they were washed up but were they washed up or by the time they were in tna they were, they were they just cashing checks like i don't know yeah it was like, it was like well, the, the, thing, the, the thing is like were they ever good yeah that's the thing it's hard to say were they washed up because it's like were they ever actually good I want to say that there was time periods where I thought Devon was was like a competent wrestler, but I could would never say that he was great. And then like Bully right. Ray, when he turns to Bully Ray, is like a good character and has good like brawling matches and and heavyweight like plunder matches. But was he ever good wrestler? Not really. I think actually um, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray, is probably was probably always the worst wrestler of the two, even though he ended up becoming the bigger star. But either way, they have, like, solid matches with them. I think they have some interactions with, like, the Steiners, LAX. Um, like I said, I mentioned Beer Money, but also Generation Me. Um, you know, a little bit of a blip on the radar. Young Bucks didn't, like, have a great run there. But uh, but definitely, like, the stuff that they did with 
Mother City Machine Guns was fantastic. So you got all of that to start out the 2010s. Um, then oh, oh. I, I, I would say don't forget the like the like the stuff they do when they're doing in New Japan with Apollo with Apollo 55. Yeah, well that's what I was gonna say. Then you've also got yeah. the Time Splitters run. He kind of transitioned. I guess some of it happens concurrently, but he also kind of completely switches at a certain point and is no longer doing the uh, the TNA slash uh, Motor City Machine Gun stuff and is pretty much all new Japan and all time splitters. And, uh, yeah, I think it was, I think at the time it was pretty easy to forget that Alex Shelley was the same Alex Shelley from like ROH and TNA, um, when the time splitter stuff happened. And that goes into like something I wanted to mention, like Alex Shelley, like we've, we've talked about this off and on, on here and talked about it with people who have like a lot of great tag teams with a lot of different partners, but Alex Shelley has two different kind of junior heavyweight tag teams that feel completely different and both could be legendary all-time junior heavyweight or even just tag teams in general i mean depending on your kind of where you stand on it motor city machine guns like they're i mean they came back just recently big nostalgia pop for that people go crazy for it um and time splitters also i mean solid solid stuff like buddy (laughs) what'd you call him soccer evan is watching some uh old new japan now getting caught back (laughs) up and it's like like I think a little bit taken aback at how good the time splitters really were. And it's like, yeah, it's like pretty easy to overlook, but the time splitters were phenomenal. Um, got the Apollo, uh, 55 stuff, which is like really good. So yeah, I mean, just Alex Shelley. I mean, you've also got some generation next stuff that maybe I could even do some deep dive into that as well to really flesh this out. But Alex Shelley, another one of these guys that should be in the conversation for all time, great tag team workers. I mean, you could, I could see people saying time splitters and motor city machine guns are similar, and I, I get it. But to me, I think that they're very, they feel very different, even if they have similar styles of matches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if yeah, it feels like Alex Shelley and Saban are equals, as where like Alex Shelley is treating Kushida like he's like teaching him. Right. Yeah. So it's just like it's different roles, it's different kind of setups. Um. Yeah. So we go from that. After that, we do get get a little bit less from Shelley for a few years in there, but really only towards the very end of uh of the 2010s does shelly like completely cycle down he's like starting to not wrestle as much in in six 2016 17 and then 18 is pretty much uh he's almost not completely gone but but pretty close to gone he has very few matches and but uh the whole way through i mean so good and like i said great tag team worker um preeminent maybe all-time tag team worker um has like i you know like i said like like tag teams and history that can be like be um uh like big nostalgia and then he kind of closes out the year or the decade in 2019 or actually i mean really you could say that the search and destroy stuff starts it where he's kind of playing this elder statesman but i think that like the search and destroy kind of stuff was a little bit i don't know i think it was overlooked primarily because it's like it was in roh at a time when no one was paying attention Starting out in like 2017, I think ROH was pretty low on people's like, like, actually like giving a shit about it. <laughs> like, but uh, he starts that, but then he really gets starts to get a reputation for being like the elder statesman of wrestling when he takes like, especially someone like Lee Moriarty as someone who stands out um, under his wing and like really seems to be trying to help to uh, to bring about the next level of uh, of the indies and and help like kind of replace himself so uh it's pretty cool it's pretty cool to see alex shelley like putting that together he's a big part of like 
John Grisham breaking out in ROH now, and basically it feels like ROH is like turning into the the John Grisham show um, as he's running this school and he's a double champion. And Alex Shelley was a big part of putting that together. I won't say that like he made Grisham because Grisham was already a great worker, but he was part of that with the, the search and destroy stuff. And then you mentioned it on the Jay White thing, being involved in helping bring up Jay White some. Um, just phenomenal wrestler can do it all really uh not i guess not power he's not a power guy but good technical good high flyer um one of the best technical wrestlers really um great base yeah, great base for for high flying as well as his own stuff and uh i don't know one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time is that nuts what do you think no like uh, uh, uh pal simon said it but it's like if you're someone that like talks about voting for like bobby eaton for like for something like gwe but you're like pushing back on Shelly, but like there's literally no difference between them. Like it's just, it's just, it's like literally the same amount of work. It's just like one, you know, being propped up is more legendary because of the time period it happened in versus someone else's work. When Shelly did the exact same shit, right? And has been doing the exact same shit. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good comparison. I think that I think and Shelly in some ways is again like I mentioned like the the updated Midnight Express. Like there is. There is something to Shelley where he's a bit of a throwback, even though he is very modern. And the way that he's a throwback right. is just because of being such a sound, fundamental wrestler. I think that that kind of uh, that kind of like game, having that t- really tight game in your fundamentals, is is timeless. It's classic, and it's something that like can kind of spread the the gap of of, uh, of any time period of wrestling. That's why he does feel he does feel timeless. I think that Alex Shelley feels like a guy who really could be dropped in any time period and i think that he would be one of the best wrestlers on your show no matter what time period he showed up in all right uh my number 24 is uh is mike bailey okay i had bailey at uh 44 right uh again a common a common thing that you'll see that you see from people that are on my list is it's people that I feel like definitely deserved more out of wrestling than the, than they got. And for Bailey, you know, one of the most underappreciated guys for what he offers to a promotion that I think I've ever come across uh, uh, come across of honestly. Um, and I and I and I still feel this way based off the fact that like you take him and you like. Look what he did. Look what the th- look at the things he accomplished in WXW. Look at the thing. Look at the things he has. He look at the things he's accomplished. Um, in like the, in like the short stint he had, he had no DT. Look at the things he accomplished in DDT. Look at the things he accomplished in um, in PWG in the short time there. Beyond everywhere feels like you take Mike Bailey out and you notice it. Like am, am, like am I am I crazy for saying that? No, I mean, yeah, you're completely right. Like, and I think unheralded is a great way to describe Mike Bailey because I think no matter where he's at, he's a really important part of the show and just can get completely overlooked and isn't treated like he is. But yeah, um, Mike Bailey, good for a long time, longer than people like will give him credit for. And if you go back and look at stuff like C four, I, um, I, I, ISW. And just like go and go, and go through like a go through go through the backlog on stuff like that. He's a guy that's been good for a really long time. 
it is not just a guy that popped up in like you know late 2014 2015 2015 or whatever there's a guy that was good in like 2012 2013 he's been, he's been he's been awesome for a while um and naturally you know some with his talent he eventually starts getting booked more and more um CZW being the first, being the first place that uh that brought him in and then uh you know beyond being 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 the next place after that but the dude but the dude just is such a overwhelming talent the high flying and the uniqueness in the martial arts aspect that he brings to wrestling was such a fun combination and something that we've never really seen before and that lended himself especially with his look his pale like you know his pale, like how pale he is the barefootness and you know people calling him the karate the karate kid and just like looking at him like created this like super sympathetic lovable baby face because his whole thing was upholding his honor being respectful being nice and it just made for these like these cool dynamics versus so many people he wrestled from roddy to chris hero biff um trevor lee so many people uh that there's like it created this like interesting dynamic with and one of the things that we got robbed of we got robbed of more speedball in the states um now granted from what i know at the time speedball was on wb's radar and who knows what would have happened if speedball didn't have that happen to him if speedball would have signed to the signed to wb and got swallowed up in their system because lord knows they would have done a horrible job with him yeah um but what happens is speedball gets banned from the states as most of you as most of you guys would know and instead of his career kind of taking a downturn, his career almost benefits from that because now he's a guy that has to go and like make, you know, go, you know, you know, butter his bread somewhere else. And like though the Canadian Indies, he always can fall back on, he can go work, but what he's real, what he really goes and does and what he gets and what he gets and what he gets the most, um, most out of is the guy goes and starts working Japan. He starts working in DDT and immediately he's a guy that like is super like on DDT, a roster full of good ass wrestlers, full of great wrestlers. Immediately in DDT, it was like, oh shit, like this guy is really good here. He stands out. And like he was mixing it up. He was mixing it up with everybody. So he got to go in there and mix it up with your, with your, with your, with your Dinos and your Umedas and Antonio Hondas and stuff. But he was also mixing up with the, with the, uh, with the DNA guys. That people forget he was mixing it up with those guys. He was cutting his teeth with the young boys, and that, like, I think that kind of showed the character in Bailey for a guy that was like on his way to being one of the biggest stars in indie wrestling, to be okay with coming over here to this to this promotion and and, and working his way up. And work his way up. He did as he sits and he as he goes and has great matches with uh, Daisuke Sasaki. Team he's teams up with Mike Bailey for a little bit, and they have and they have a, and they have a nice little reign uh, facing Hara- facing Hiroshima. Eventually, eventually teaming up with Mao and Moonlight Express. And Moonlight Express being awesome. Um, the eventual title match against Kanosuke Takashida, as we're getting a little bit more of a heelish side from Mike Bailey, which I just adored and loved. The European work in WXW. And just the, the and the great stuff that he and he was doing over there, and in terms of just uh, solidifying a bunch of guys in the in, in their work and making and making and making them and making them feel legitimate. Um, and when 
he's not there is just such a it's just such a, such a noticeable thing. The king of the, the the king of the D King tournament, I would say, and that's and, and that's tough to say with like Higuchi being there and Higuchi over delivering. So maybe so maybe by this point, um, Higuchi's taking the crown. But the that first run of D King. I honestly will call it one of the best tournament tournament performances I've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm not sure if I'm wild for saying that, but every fucking match, every match was something different from, from Speedball and just making the most out of every chance he got. And it was just incredible work. And I'm someone that when I first saw Speedball, I didn't love him. I wasn't like, you know, like, you know, over the moon, like, oh my God, this is the guy. But as you keep watching him, you can't deny him because what he does is so fucking fucking unique. If you want someone that looks like their shit hurts, speedball shit looks like it hurts. <laughs> he kicks it. He kicks. He kicks the shit out of you. He has legitimate. He has legitimate credibility. He can be fun. He can be fun as hell. Do the tag. Do tag team stuff. Have have crazy bangers like the stuff. The match with Will Osprey from the uh, What Culture World Cup, <laughs> like completely ridiculous match. What Mike Bailey. He's one of the best wrestlers of the decade and should be higher. Again, there are people on, on here that I can tell you that I don't like having higher than Mike Bailey. But Mike Bailey just didn't get to do this. Hasn't gotten to be, hadn't gotten to be what he should be in like, you know, getting de-emphasized in DDT as time went on, sadly, and not getting the same spotlight that he should be getting. But Mike Bailey is incredible. Mike Bailey should be a star. Mike Bailey is fucking, you know, at his best. Looks like he's looks like he looks like he's the next Rey Mysterio or some shit. Like, he's that good, he's that unique, and he's that like lovable of a baby face. But, you know, we'll never get to see him reach his full potential. And like maybe with the uh I believe his band is supposed to be coming like, you know, coming up soon. And who knows uh what does he, what that's even gonna look like as still travel travel restrictions are all over the world. Right. But you know, he's a guy that, again, talked about this, talked about this a lot on my list so far. He's a guy that deserved a lot more out of wrestling. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he just, uh, his band's coming up, and I think he just got engaged to uh, an American citizen, so we'll see. Um, we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, but yeah, everything you say there is uh, pretty spot on. Um, a phenomenal tournament worker, you talked about the... Um, the D King, but every showing he had in Bola was great. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly forgot how good that last Bola run was. Mm-hmm. And I want to go, I want to go back and, uh, tell you, like, tell you that last Bola run. So, yeah, that last Bola run that he had in 2015, it was the Galloway match, the Osprey, the Osprey match, the Tommy N match, and then the finals, which, like, the the PWG Bola Finals can can be can be hit or miss because like the the triple threat thing is yeah. kind of eh, but that was a but that was a pretty good one. Oh, I really like that one. Yeah, you know, like that, like that, like that's his Bola. Yeah. <laughs> no, he really was to me. He was the, I think the standout of that year. I mean, Zach, Zach and Hero were both really good, but I came out of that. I think I liked. Liked most of his matches more than anything else. I mean, the Tommy End match was like a the, dream match for me. I loved that. The Galloway match is fucking incredible. Yeah, the Galloway match is phenomenal. <laughs> the Osprey match, I feel like, is like this the lowest of the matches. Yeah, and that's at the a, time it was crazy. Yeah, that's the least. That's uh, the least one. Yeah, that's the least memorable, at least. But I remember at the time it being nuts. But then you've also got um, 
There was the DNA Grand Prix. I think it ended up only happening once, but he ended up winning that uh. over Higuchi. He was phenomenal throughout the whole thing, and the final was fucking nuts. I don't know if you remember oh, that. Oh, oh, look, oh, looking looking at um his PWG stuff, like I forgot he had that like crazy match when they were, when they started bringing Evil Uno back over, and yep. he, him and Evil Uno had a ridiculous match. Yeah, I think they, I think Uno came over like once on some weird like he was allowed to come into America. He, he he came twice. Yeah. I, remember, I remember seeing it, it was him. He he faced Hero on on one shot, yes. and then and then he was Speedball. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there was that, and then there was a uh, Best of the Best. He wins Best of the Best, I think, two thousand fourteen, yeah. and he was great in that as well. I mean, phenomenal tournament worker, really. I mean, just uh. So yeah, he's got a lot of really good tournaments under his belt where he repeatedly is like the star of the whole fucking thing actually now that i think about it i think that there was a beyond like tag team yeah tournament for tomorrow um where it was him and uh shinron he was really good in that as well they like yeah that that was a that was a big deal because it's also funny to think about uh that um that he was kitsun because like kind of forget that yeah. and people don't or people didn't know it ever but yeah, that tag team with Shinron was really fucking cool, and they had some like stuff that really stood out um, from that tournament. And then they think they had like a match with the Young Bucks um, that people still gift to this day, which is nuts. Um, yeah, definitely a guy who deserved more. Um, it's also weird to think that uh, he's been DDT tag team champion, but not with Mao at this point, uh, because like it just feels like uh, Moonlight Express is such a like such a big thing or at least it feels like it but like yeah he held the tag team titles with takashita um so yeah great all around um my number 23 i can't imagine you end up having higher so i think maybe he didn't make your list but eddie kingston nobody nobody kingston for yeah. me um i can get that but uh just like amazing workhorse um not just in the ring. I mean, Eddie has there's like the 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 joke from like AIW podcast about the gear Eddie and the the baggy like sweatpants Eddie or whatever. Um, so there is like some like Eddie dogs or whatever. But I think Eddie always brings authenticity, brings a fight, brings violence, brings like um yeah like uh, danger to anything he did, even during those time periods. Um, he didn't ever half-ass it on promos and like, like doing that side of things. Um, I don't really believe the idea that like he, I could definitely see that he wasn't always like having major epic encounter type matches all the time, but he was definitely always bringing like the cerebral and like I said, always bringing the violence. Um, so like you've definitely got that throughout the entire, the entire, uh, decade, the entire run. There's no like, uh dogging that and then you've got the the chikara grand championship run which like is pretty great from beginning even from the beginning the 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 match where he wins the title is like one of the most emotional and phenomenal matches all around like for the wrestling for the background for what's going on for the history for being, you know, for Larry Sweeney, honor of Larry Sweeney, inaugurating this championship. I mean, Eddie Kingston took like a company that existed for, uh, I, can't, I don't even know how long Chikara was around and they just like didn't feel the need to have a singles title um, for, yeah, what does it say? 2002 and they don't have a singles title until, th- until 2011. 
So they're around for like almost 10 years. Don't need to have a singles title. <laughs> and then uh, they finally do. And Eddie Kingston instantly legitimizes it and makes it feel like a big fucking deal um, with his first match as champion, basically, when he wins the title. And then from there, uh, he constantly feels like not just he's the champion, but like I said, he's holding that uh, the whole history of the company and his friends and everything on his back every time he goes out there. Um, you get stuff like random, like the ROH championship match with Kevin Steen. Um, that is like, obviously Kevin Steen was on fire at that time, but I think arguably that's the best uh, title match of Kevin Steen's title run. Um, or the best match of Kevin Steen's title run. I think it's possible to argue that. Like, I think some people might have some other matches higher, but I think that that match, to me, was the best one. Um, so, yeah, I just think a guy who... Easy to overlook. Um, not uh, not necessarily always in the biggest places. And maybe, like I said, you can kind of argue that, uh, that he dogs it. But I think when he brings it, he fucking brings it. And he's always, like, a big deal. He's always brings the gravitas. He's always, like, feels legitimate, important, uh, and just, yeah, like, the promo work, the believability, the violence, like, some even just random shit, like, on AIW shows throughout the decade, like, he'll constantly feel just, like, like, the tone completely shifts when Eddie Kingston shows up, like, it's, again, like I said, it's violence, it's aggression, it's, yeah, it's just nastiness, and I really, uh, really uh really enjoy that <laughs> really enjoy his um his believability like i said and uh and just seeming like he takes wrestling really fucking serious and uh it's nice to see that especially in like the 2010s when like a lot of indie wrestling maybe not everybody felt like that and he feels like a an adult in the room at all times you know what i mean yeah i as someone that like i've, I've grown to appreciate eddie kingston more as uh time has gone on I still need to go back and just, you know, go back and look at some of his stuff. You know, he works places that wasn't, like, weren't really on my radar as much, like, you know, Shikara and uh, AIW. But once I go back and do that and maybe form, like, some kind of updated version of this at some point in the future, um, Eddie might make this because he is someone that I do like and appreciate and enjoy uh, more as time has gone on here. Um, my number 23... I'm not sure if you've said yet. I'm not, I don't really remember. My number 23 is Trevor Lee. Uh, no, I have not said him yet. But I think I have him higher. Um, yeah, we'll talk to about him a little bit here. Um, that's 22, right. right? 23. That's 23. Oh, Eddie was my 23. Shit. I think I uh, skipped my number 24, who you said you had. Maybe you said you had already or not, but Daisuke Sakamoto. Yeah, well, yeah, you skipped Sakamoto then. Okay, sorry. So, um, well, you, uh, so, okay, I fucked up. So, I, 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 I guess I'll guess start off with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so Sakamoto okay. was 24, and then Kingston was and second, and second, Yeah. Yeah, and he was, Sakamoto was 27 for 27 me. for you. Right. And then, you All and right. you just said you're 23. My, 20, my 23 Trevor. was Trevor Lee. Okay. All right, so let's talk Sakamoto. All right. Um... Yeah, like other like he did slow down at some points as the decade got a de- decade uh was getting closer to an end. But man, the model of fucking consistency this guy is, right? Like everywhere he went, he always gave 
a hundred percent straight up effort no matter how big the crowd was anything this guy busted his ass in like is like like the like the epitome of a style that like I feel like so many people are like you know as time goes on they're getting fed up with it but like Sekimoto is that style that kind of like you know almost like air to the Kobashi you know, almost air to the like to the style Kabashi ushered in and all that kind of stuff as that fire and emotion. Like, you know, you can clearly see the influence that 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 that, that style had on him. In you know, while Yuji, I feel like might be the better overall package, Sekimoto's presence, Sekimoto's aura, in like this like the gravitas that Sekimoto brings to a situation, you feel it. Um, and you felt that even with his little European run that 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 he had. Uh, well, guys, like he did some American shots too. You felt, you felt it. We felt it with that. Um, you felt it when you felt it whenever he did get chances to do anything as, uh, you know, what title shots or winning the triple, winning the triple, winning the uh, Champions Carnival. But from early on, when he was, um, he, he I think, I think, he, he, well, being in DDT and being the K, being the KOD champ and that ridiculous match with uh, Masa, Masa Takanashi in him being 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 able to uh feel like a real threat in a company that he wasn't um a, re- a regular in obviously the uh, obviously the stuff in big japan up and down the car speaks for itself from tag team to heavyweight the strong the strong climb tournaments guy just killed it and busted his ass every time uh still showing up and show, still showing up in ddt here and then and putting on ridiculous matches like uh, uh like the, like the golden riders of uh, Sasaki and Abushi facing strong BJ, I remember being absolutely ridiculous. Um, and eventually he gets to all Japan. He gets to all Japan, and the strong the strong BJ team winds up winds up being one of the, the dominant forces over there for the tag titles. And Sekimoto comes over and he gets a really he he gets a little nice run, being one of uh, being uh, Kento's challenge, monster of the month or monster monster of the year challenger. Um, when he wins, when he wins Champions Carnival, and then goes on to face him again in a, in a title match, and he delivered in all of that stuff on a constant, regular basis. Still, the tag team matches that you see him in are hard, mean, nasty, and and gruesome. And Yuji Yuji got to do other stuff like you know he got to know he got the Toki uh, Namora match and shit like that. But the stuff Sakimoto has like the Shuji Ishikawa match in 2015. For the for the for the for the, uh, for the for the strong title, completely ridiculous and off the wall brutality and meanness. All the all the twin all the twin towers versus uh, strong BJ tags, the strong BJ versus astronauts tags. Every everything that you could possibly think of, any combination of guys versus fucking Kawakami. Uh, Kamatani, even Dai, even even Daishi sometimes, even Shino, even Shinobu, uh, the body, the bodyguard, uh, the, uh, the, the the big guns, uh, every time it just he kicks ass, and you know what you're getting with Sakimoto every time. I understand that for some people that might get boring, that might get repetitive, but same thing I talk about, I talk about with Sagira, is that model of consistency goes out there, and you know exactly what you're getting, and he delivered that on a high level throughout the decade. Yeah, I mean that's it. Consistency, brutality, um, 
like some and some of the best uh, straight up some of the best matches of the decade. Like oh, yeah. that twin tower that twin towers versus strong BJ match. You know, the, everyone like people should know the one in particular I'm talking about. That's an that's a ridiculous match. Yeah, I mean all time all timer stuff for sure. Like constantly. Um, and then on top of that, like against a ton of varied opponents, you talk about it. I mean, he can have great matches with like Abushi. Um, obviously with a lot of the people in like uh, Big Japan who like match his style, um, like the, the tag team stuff with Strong BJ. But then like yeah, also like going to WXW and being like the only Japanese guy who doesn't dog it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you can go out there. And, oh my god, I, for, I forgot the WXW shit. Yeah, like, like <laughs> amazing like career making matches in WXW for multiple people. Um, the second the second moto match. Yeah. <laughs> Just like. Yeah, so it's just uh it's just repeatedly um like yeah, he can just he can go in there with pretty much anyone and uh like even Hideki like Hideki Suzuki, you know what I mean? Like he can go in there with totally different styles of people, totally different settings, and then he can also do like random death matches like every year or you know, every couple of years and have phenomenal death matches as well. Like he can do it all and he brings violence and aggression and brutality and everything and i get what you're saying like people can see it as repetitive or whatever but but uh very solid and and just you always know what you're going to get with him and what you're always going to get with him is like you said maximum effort and just phenomenal phenomenal work in general um so yeah that's a that was your 24 that was my 24 yes Mm, 23 all right the kingston 22 i guess for you would be where we were at all right, my, my number 22 is a guy that you said a little bit ago. My number 22 is Kushida. Yes, I had Kushida at 28. Um Again, what a, what a what a rise what a rise for this guy. Considering where he where he started the decade off, um in his in his, in his positioning there, like it's kind of crazy it's kind of crazy to see how far how far this guy came and, you know, where and where and where his uh career ended really. In terms of in, ter- in terms of his standing in New Japan, um, starting starting off, and I think I, I believe in 2010, that's when he that's when he starts getting uh work in in New Japan, and we see we see we see him in the uh, best of the super best of the super juniors, and not, well, I think he, I think he one I, I ends that with like four or six points, but he left an impact and i remember going remember going through that stuff and still thinking like man that's this guy is really good this guy is awesome this guy has like has like has such a unique feel to him um and time and time goes on kushida is working adjacent to like the new japan army and stuff like that and then and then and then eventually we get to him being able to do more along the lines of uh the time, the time splitters, and getting, and getting, and getting the team with Shelly, um, and we talked, we touched on, we touched on it there. We talked about Shelly, but that time splitters thing really did a ton for him because even with him being signed, even with him being there and being adjacent to the new to the new Japan Army, it felt like there was such a clear ceiling on what on what on what they had planned for the guy, and. Now being someone with Shelly who was who was proven, who has shown who has shown his worth, and going out there and them having and them having good matches, uh, 
going out there and being good and, and title and title challenges, um, and just and just cutting their teeth and eventually trying to get trying to get to a place where they were respected, um, it worked. And Kushida was just as good as Shelly in those tag teams, and that should that definitely should be and that definitely should be remembered here. Um, and Kushida's blend of the whole Kushida doesn't get mentioned in the whole uh, grapple fuck thing really, and it's funny because he really should be. Because effectively, he he was only one working that style in New Japan, but he fits into that same class as guys like uh, as guys like Gulak, Hot Sauce, Gresham, Zach, Yehi. He fits he fits into that he fits into that class. There's a reason why when they booked Kushida for Rev Pro, they booked him to face Zach. Um, and he had the flying background. He had the he had the the Tajiri influence stuff, and he was just such a good base for the rest of the rest of the uh, division to revolve around eventually at when they eventually gave uh uh kushida the the ball to be one of those guys and it's a kind of a false start in 2014 uh with the with that but with that best of super juniors final and the concussion he gets and all that but once he's given the chance to be the guy in 2015 as there's a whole bunch of transition and change happening uh, you know, Ricochet, Ricochet can't commit to them. Um, you know, they're moving on from Devitt as Dev, as, as Devitt has left. Abushi, Abushi has moved up. So there's times of change in that junior division and Kushida is now delegated as the man to step up and he delivers in spades, man. The Kenny Omega matches don't get looked back on, um, as fondly as maybe they should be, even if they're not amazing, if, if they're not like great completely, those are still really good matches, and that's a and that's a, a different conversation when we get to Kenny Omega later. Um, but Kushida in the Omega matches, great. His best of the Super Junior run that year is awesome. The best of Super Junior final against against Kyle O'Reilly, arguably the arguably the best uh, final of the decade. And when he gets when he finally gets that ball and is able to be the guy in 2016 after putting Omega behind him and Omega moves up. Goes up there and kills it versus everybody. Osprey, Hiromu, Taiji Ishimori, Bushi, Liger, you name it. Gushida is out there having a great match with every per- every person. Taguchi, uh, Rocky Romero, Bobby Fish. Kushida is on fire. And... He, as Hiromu comes back, then it becomes clear that Kushida was just like a transition guy for when they got one of the other guys they really wanted to be the face of the division to come back, which sucks because again, Kushida is a guy that's super talented and could have done more, but they already decided that Kushida was just more of a was more of a transitional guy, and then we're getting into the late the later period with this him him challenging and him giving uh random random stuff. Uh, up and down the card, and then eventually it ends with ends with him uh, having that having that farewell match against Tanahashi. Um, really, the only reason he wound up even even getting the, getting the belt back is because Hiromu broke his neck, and that and then that leads to him at Wrestle Kingdom kind of getting jobbed out to Ishimori, and then that farewell match against Tanahashi that shows you what could be if New Japan. Saw more value in Kushida, but sadly they don't, and I can't really blame them for not seeing it, I guess. 
but tremendous wrestler at his peak. You could argue he was all like having one of the best runs in the world at that at that point in time from the Liger, Osprey, Bushi, uh, O'Reilly, like all those performances all hap- all happening uh in a row. You could argue he was, he was on a, such a ridiculous run, but you know a guy that I guess overachieved in a lot of ways. So while some people I may feel like they didn't get what they deserved out of wrestling. Kushida feels Kushida feels like a guy that like on some levels did overachieve. So even if he's in one of the best taxis of the decade and became like, you know, the uh the standard bearer of the New Japan junior division of the decade, it still kind of feels like he achieved more than he was meant to achieve. And I feel like that's like a victory in itself for a guy that just clearly wasn't meant to be that. Yeah. He um he oh actually the first thing I was gonna say is I don't know uh I, I kind of assume we weren't gonna be talking about Kenny Omega at any point on this list but i guess uh you have different plans on that um but yeah i think that he like i really enjoyed the kenny omega junior title run um i remember even at the time saying like he was on a hot streak of having the best matches on the shows repeatedly wait, 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 what do you mean he's not, wait, do you mean he's not on my list yeah you just, you just have to talk about tonight. yeah i meant in general i just thought, I thought maybe he wasn't going to be on it on, on your list or on my list either oh um, come on oh, oh, <laughs> i was joking <laughs> he's on a, I was about to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I really liked the run, but I think a lot of people didn't. But I think that Kushida came in and, like, reestablished the junior title. And also after, like, a long time of feeling like it was kind of treated like it was unimportant, he was establishing it as, like, an important division and had a, 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 a figure at the top who was, like, an ace that was believable. And then, yeah, it was it was all just a first show. But he was. He was, like, able to world travel while also feeling like the standard bearer for the division. Um I think he also gets like an ROH TV title run within that period as well. It was really, actually, really fun, even if it was like you know not much. Um, a lot of good matches there. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't disagree. I liked. I even liked like early stuff when he was in Hustle. He has a couple of good matches with like O'Hara. Um, so yeah, I mean, just like really good from as soon as I saw him early on. Um, and then just kept, you know, got better and better. But he became something that I wouldn't have expected, as you talked about, kind of the grapple fuck thing or whatever. Like, not what I would have predicted from him, even like in the time splitters time, I wouldn't expect him to become what he was. But he turned into a style that I liked even more, and then did become like a guy that I could respect as being so versatile as being able to travel the world and wrestle with anyone. And he could show up on any show on any place, and you could put him in the dream match with uh, with your best like wrestler wrestler, and he would deliver. Uh, like a dream match with whoever it was so great stuff um so that should be my 22 which i think you might have i can't imagine you don't um shingo takagi yeah i have shingo higher all right and this goes to my 21 which i'm not i'm not sure i think you i think you said them already it's either you said them already or he wouldn't be on your list at all um, my number twenty one is Kento Miyahara. Yeah, I did. I had Miyahara at forty two. All right. Um, some people don't like Kento because his formula and whatever else about him. Yeah, I get it. Don't really care, but like, I get it. Um, the thing I would say in favor of Kento is people have to remember that Kento was awesome before he even touched a triple crown. Kento was really good before he even touched that. Before he even touched that, um, Noah Diamond Ring Kensuke Office didn't really get to do a ton, but you can saw that they saw there was a talented guy there. 
And then once he goes to uh, All Japan and eventually starts teaming with Goshi Ozaki and Xseed, that's an awesome tag team. They even had an awesome triple crown match against each other. And the matches and the matches against Jun Akiyama and Takao Mori are honestly some of the best matches of the decade. They're really that good. Some of the best tag team matches that you'll find anywhere. And just because the footage isn't readily available and people just weren't watching as much All Japan in 2014 as they would eventually in 2016, 2017, they're not talked about. They're not talked about the way that they should be. But but like I said, oh, like Miyahara was great before he even touched that belt. Uh, even getting uh, a triple crown shot against uh, Akebono in 2015 that w- that, w- that was really good. And more so being like I said, the junior the junior Goshi Ozaki being like the guy on the rise and stuff like that. So when Akebono and Sawama all subsequently go down and now there's this uh open space for who's gonna be the guy to take the ball here in all Japan's uh dire straits, you know, a lot of people thought it would be Zeus and then here comes Kento and Kento is given the chance to be the guy and Immediately, and I remember—I think I remember saying this back on back in twenty back when we did the twenty sixteen list. But Kento went from being the young punk on the rise to having to transform into being an ace, and he did it so seamlessly, so perfectly that I don't think he gets no credit for that. He was just being Goshi Ozaki's sidekick. He was just being that like a few months ago, and to now go into being the guy that's supposed to lead the company into the future. He stepped into those shoes, and I feel like he handled it just as well as he as any as anybody could have, going from all the the various champions carnival tournaments and the, and the various challengers and, mo- and monsters he had to face from Shuji Shikawa, Daisuke Sakimoto, Namichi Mar- Namichi Marafuji, uh, and those and those guys uh, being the various obstacles that he had to overcome at points. Uh, a Suwama who returned and people didn't know if they were going to go back to Suwama being the proven guy. Uh, and other guys, other contemporaries like Jake Lee, Noe Nomura, uh, Zeus, uh, even Yuma Aoagi uh, to, some, to, some, to some extent. Uh, I remember a Bodyguard title defense. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Like this guy, no matter how you may feel about, about Kento, like the guy put the company on his back in a way that so few people have ever had to do. And that, that means a lot to me. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that he did do that he did get better. I feel like Kento got better as the years went on. I know a lot lot of people like view it as him just doing the same shit, but like, I feel like Kento got better at selling. I feel like, especially if you look at like the Suwama, uh, matches after 2016, the Zeus match from October, the Naomichi Marafuji matches. He looks like he's in dire straits every time he's facing those guys. His selling is ridiculous. I feel like he really sells the concept that he's in danger. I, I think he works better on top as um as time goes on, especially in regards to Naomi Nomura. I feel like he worked. He felt like he was working better on top um and leading uh against Kai. He was, but he was, he was better at that than he was in years past, and I feel like the improvements that Kento made got overshadowed by uh, the wackiness of his facial expressions, um, maybe some no selling sequences or whatever else people got mad about. But Kento was a guy that even improved as the time as the time went on, and the tag and tag team and tag team stuff that was good. The Jake Lee tag team wasn't very heralded, but again, good. Nayanamora, good stuff, and. 
he was like that open like with a bunch of different people a bunch of various various people in next stream were next man up and let's go let's have a tag team with Kento and it's good and I feel like from the tag team stuff with Goshi Ozaki and his stuff before 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 being the ace and then eventually the ace run and how he and how he does and all the various champ, champions carnival tournaments um and how good he's felt and how good he's dealt with various uh challengers uh the Jake Lee stuff had like you know being varying levels of good and sometimes hitting like super high levels of being like great but he's worked with he's he's worked with a bunch of different people gotten the most out of it told stories and i think has even if all japan is in a place now where like they got to make a change because they've just been sitting there relying on Kento and financial security for however long now without really like you know doing anything uh to make it to make a move but that's not Kento's fault and i feel like for everything that he was in that was that was within his uh realm of possibility to do Kento achieved it and then some being a guy that had to work with such limited options on that roster and he made that shit something something to watch he made all japan something to tune into and maybe that's not just on him there were other people that were that were bringing brought in the people like that had followings from strong from strong bj to shuji shikawa um but kento miyahara made all japan feel must see at least go and look at least go and look at kento's matches and i don't think you can take that away from him and i feel like he's a guy that for as formulaic as he may be, I feel like he deserves a lot more respect from people. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't argue with anything there. I think uh, he's a guy who, like you mentioned, the early stuff gets overlooked. I think um, I think that people think of, like, when people think of, like, uh, Sasaki and Diamond Ring student, they think of uh, Nakajima. But I think that Kento was right there, you know, with him and, and possibly even seemed like a was maybe the preferred student i don't know maybe the better of the two early on even um and then yeah you talked about the noah stuff that i think also gets overlooked um from early in his career that was all really good and then finally like when he does settle into all japan and becomes the ace of all japan he's been he's been great as like a singular force as you talked about there and carrying the company and being able to basically bring anybody up to his level if need be for whatever it is at the time um i think that people just get sick and tired of that like you can't be the one note champion ace without getting some backlash nowadays you can't do uh can't do the jerry lawler and, and draw in the same building for years and years oh well, for sure but I, feel, but I feel like he wasn't one note though that's the thing i right. feel like there were adjustments made to him like like i feel like he like if you go back and watch like the zeus match from october uh 2018 He's selling his ass off when Zeus is just beating the ever-living shit out of him. Uh, the Suwama match from 2017, another one where he's just, he's selling so well. And I feel like that aspect of his game gets lost because he does, I guess, no-sell so much. But his selling is really good. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that that's his selling does get overlooked with how great he is at that. Um, and I think that people look at him. You know, they they look at a few examples of no selling and make that his entire career, and I don't think that that's fair. Um. All right, twenty one for me. Um, I think you gotta have this guy hires uh, Walter. 
Yeah, no, I have Walter Heyer. He's going to be next episode. Okay. Um, all right. All right, my number 20 then, guy you haven't said, uh, maybe maybe we have a, a you know, mat- match up here as uh, Freddie A. Fucking hell. <laughs> we do it? Almost. <laughs> Almost. My number 20, um, I, I think you already just said him recently, it was Shibata. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I I actually just switched Yehai and someone else last minute. Okay. Well, very close. Right. Um, very very close. Damn. Okay. Well, Shibata. Um, obviously starts out the decade missing, but comes back relatively quickly. Um, not full time, but uh, has at least one match, one wrestling match in 2011, and then starts to return to wrestling somewhat more. Um, in 2012, not a lot but a little bit um and obviously in stuff that i fucking love basically tagging with uh, sakuraba who you know obviously i'm I'm i love both guys um only takes a little bit for him to kind of come back into new japan and start to feel like a key act um and comes out kind of swinging for the fences um his first g1 back he yeah has a bunch of really awesome matches um and feels like okay like to i think i think maybe 2013 it's not the like i don't think anyone was saying he was gonna win but i think that instantly like first time back in his first year in the g1 2013 people were already starting to talk like they should be pushing him more and he had just basically kind of come back from having left um clearly it was going to take a long time for people to uh for him to be like a serious and like you know member of the roster as far as they were concerned that's just the way new japan works and japan in general works but yeah i think that 2013 people were already like okay i really like this guy should be getting pushed more at least at western fans 2014 obviously has the ishii match that becomes infamous and i think from that point on it's when are they going to put the title on shibata as far as Western fans are concerned, not, 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 not even not even just that match. That all, that's also the um is that I think that's also the year when it has that he has a Tanahashi match. Uh, yes. In the in the in the G one, yes. that completely just that completely just knocks 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 the socks off everybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, he kicks ass that year, but yeah, like the Ishii match becomes like a meme, and then yes, he also has the Tanahashi match, which is which is great. And yeah, that is off to the races. He's been back for a few years, and basically the talk is constantly when is shibata gonna get his place when is he finally going to move to the top and unfortunately it never happens right um just the way the way these things go but uh but yeah it was from there so we've got you've got basically half the decade not even half the decade you know what i mean you've got like a pretty short i guess like i guess like i guess like like four years five, three and a half five, years basically I like four five? four and a half to five full years of Every, almost every night being the best guy on the show, uh, maybe not always the best match, and but 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 standing out yes. like he's a guy that like his aura and just everything about him just stands out, especially in New Japan and where New Japan was at that time with Okada, Naito, Devitt, eventually Styles, Omega, uh, and just like the surrounding the the stuff surrounding him, even like what Nakamura has become. Shibata comes in and just like, oh fuck! Like there's like a wrestler here again. Yeah, exactly. And it is such a, it's a throwback style, and it's boots and trunks. Uh, shout out to Jamesy, 
and it's just plain black and white and but it's it's a breath of fresh air it's something from the past feeling new again right and he's just he's aggressive he's to use an overused term at this point strong style right he is old school wrestling he can grapple he can strike he's fast he's crisp he's violent and like you said he has aura he doesn't have to cut promos from what i've heard in japan he's actually seen more or was seen more as like a good promo and a personality and they liked him um to me watching he came across as like a stone cold you know didn't speak kind of guy but i guess he actually really did which is odd to think about um but yeah like and even being a guy who is thought of or was thought of for a long time as an outsider, when they start teasing like the idea that there's going to be a feud between R O or I was about to say R O H between New Japan and Noah, um, he feels like the standard bearer and the guy standing up for the company and the guy who is going to be out in the front of a feud between and it's really fucking exciting to think about this guy who is such a like you said, such a standout in New Japan, getting to be like the the guy who goes to war for New Japan against Noah. Um, so yeah, I mean, constantly felt like not a focus of the company, but it drew your eye, drew your attention at all times. Constantly a workhorse of like every G one. Um, the tag team stuff with Goto, I fucking loved. I constantly really loved the the Miyu tag stuff. Um, his never title run, like really, I feel like legitimized that title. Um, after it having such like a bumpy and weird like existence, he really felt like he put it back on the map. Um, a guy who could go up and down the card, like you said, always stood out. Even in the matches that were like shitty, like tags that were just like multi-person tags on the undercards of house shows and stuff, he was the guy who was making it worthwhile to check him out to see what what he was gonna do. Even if he's not gonna do anything crazy, he's just gonna like go out there and wrestle and be like fucking awesome. So yeah, Shibata. Unfortunately, career gets cut short, as we all know at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, but, but, go, but goes out on maybe the best match of all time. Yeah, one of, a match that's legendary and thought of still to this day as one of the best matches of all time. So yeah, definitely a uh, a weirdly short run in the 2010s. Really short career in general. Um, takes such a long time off for like MMA that he was not particularly good at, but uh, but definitely like. Uh, makes a, an indelible mark i think in new japan and maybe wrestling history as a whole yeah it's weird because like it almost like we still like even that 2015 g1 i feel like stuff that he did gets like gets looked over like that tanahashi match that year is different than the other stuff that they did but it's it's, it's map based and that match is fucking incredible and i like i implore people to go back and like go back and rewatch that 2015 tanahashi match it's really amazing work even that um that aj styles match to open to uh open up the open up that block was was ridiculously good oh yeah and is yeah like, he had some incredible shit that even now feel like people like that love him might might look over and it still feels like a guy that we still like didn't get this like again we didn't get to see his full potential not even in a way of like you know him main eventing certain things but like we didn't really get to see you know like you know how good him and Nakamura really could have been if they got another, if they got, if they got another crack at it. Like they never they never really got another 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 shot at that after the after after the Intercontinental title. Um, how you know I feel like him and Minoru Suzuki had something incredible in them that we just never really got to see. I mean, they had some um, good matches, but I get what you're saying. Yeah, um, I would have loved to see him and Kenny Omega again. Ugh. 
You know, we didn't, yeah. You know, we 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 didn't we didn't we didn't really get that. I loved what we got with Osprey. I thought that match was phenomenal. I thought we I thought what he did with Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish was fucking fucking great. The running went on facing all the legends from Nagata, Kojima, and Tenzan just beating the shit out of all of them was yes. great. Um, the you no know, facing Goto those times and that last Goto match being a goddamn violence fest. Um. He's like no the the Zach stuff that um, that, that that we got uh, even the the Chris Hero stuff, Shibata, it's just too good to deny. Like the aura, the aura, the look, everything about him, Shibata just ruled and was too good to be denied. And I feel like for a lot of people, he's gonna wind up like for every for everybody that became like stars as being product of that New Japan system of the 2010s, you know. Your Okadas, your Tanahashi's, your Naito's, your Nakamura's, your uh, Styles, Omega, whoever you want to throw in there. A lot of people are going to say Shibata was their favorite guy or Shibata was the best guy. And I really can't argue with you because goddamn Shibata fucking ruled. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a bummer and it's definitely a, a guy that's uh, definitely missed very heavy. Even if he is still doing good stuff training the, the young the younger guys. What was he, what number did you have him? I had him at twenty six. Okay. I had him at twenty. All right, and then uh, I guess you're nineteen. Uh, my nineteen, funny enough, is Tetsuya Naito. Okay, I had Naito down way, way down here. Way, I have to scroll down and down to find where I had. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I had him uh, at twenty nine. Uh. Naito, you can't talk about the 2010s without mentioning Tetsuya Naito and how we flipped New Japan on his head. Um, at his peaks, Naito was fucking incredible. And I feel like he was a good wrestler before the Los Ingobernables Act took him to new heights. I feel like the Stardust Genius was a great wrestler um, that just needed a change. But he, again, a great wrestler nonetheless. Um, love the stuff. Love the earlier stuff versus Tanahashi in 2011 and 2013. Um, I think I think the, I think the tag I think the tag stuff that he gets to do with Yujiro uh, is good. Not, no limits. Not, no limits. Not a great. Not not a great tag team. But I feel like I still feel like it was good. Um, stuff he gets to do with Naka uh, with uh, Nakamura and Goto. Um, and post. Uh, the G that that 2013 G1 win, uh, and after he eventually loses at Wrestle Kingdom eight, which again phenomenal match, a great match. I guess like you know is, is more talked about for like the significance of like the rejection of Naito, but a great match. And at that point, I feel like Naito goes on a really good run there because then you have the Ishii matches, you get him in that G1, and that's one of the best. You get one of the best AJ Styles matches of uh of AJ's run, I feel like, I feel like in that company, with that, in that G1. And then 2015, uh, still gets a single spot, faces, it faces AJ again, but now we're in a crossroads as AJ seems to be moving on in towards the IWGP title and Naito just lost. So what's going on with Naito? Uh, they teased this, um, golden Stardust tag team with him and Ibushi. Doesn't go anywhere, but they have an insane New Japan Cup match. And then Naito just goes away for a little bit. 
And Nacho comes back. His hair is longer. He's wearing he's wearing a t-shirt while he wrestles. He's completely disinterested in, te- in, te- in teaming with Tomowaki Hanma. And then we're just like, what the hell's going on with Naito? And as the 2015 G1 unfolds, you see the beginning of the Los and Gobernables, uh Naito in the new attitude and the new style. And it just leaves everyone watching completely fascinated. Everyone's reeled in to what on earth is going on right now. Um, and 2016 is when that stuff really kicks off. It's 2015 is just more establishing the character and establishing like the, like the direction it's going to be taking. 2016 is when everything starts to hit. As then he goes and wins the New Japan Cup. Beats Okada at Invasion Attack, which I think is a re- which I think is a really good match. Uh, you know, when then that bring that brings in uh, Sonata. So now you have the core Lij all together and established. And Naito goes out there. It has the matches to boot with his popularity and merch sales going through the fucking roof. Being the guy that for some reason everyone that do- doesn't like New Japan likes Naito, and for some re- and I will never be able to tell you why. I'll never be able to tell you why why that's a thing. But, you know, whatever. And he has the matches to back it up with Ken, with Ken, with Kenny Omega, with Mike with Michael with Michael Elgin, surprisingly. He has the matches to go out there and back up everything that people are saying about him and what people think about and what people think about him. Um and maybe he maybe like consistently through and through every night he might not be the best guy kind of taking cues from Nakamura a little bit but when the lights are on with Naito the lights are on and you're gonna get some of the best matches of the year and he showed that time and time again with guys like Tanahashi in their trilogy Michael Elgin the Kenny Omega matches that we got the eventual um you know like re- like rematches uh with Okada that I feel like you know got like weren't as weren't as uh good Especially with the like the ones in twenty sixteen, as uh, Naito was, was dropping the belt back, but I feel like that twenty eighteen rematch is a lot better than people people give it credit for, just because uh, the ending at the time is what is what people wanted. Um, and he still could do other good stuff, had other good opponents like Goto, like Juice Robinson, um, like Zack Saber Jr., who they who they who we who we wound up having really good chemistry with, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, obviously. Whenever those, whenever those two got involved with each other, always really good. And another thing about him, I always give, I'll give him credit for the Lij tags are always super fun. Like people talk about wanting unit shakeups and being tired of the units and all that kind of stuff. But for a while, and even to this day, the Lij tags are always pretty awesome. And uh, and like maybe that's not like like a like a thing that like bo- like boosts a lot of people's cases, honestly, because some people just are lazy and, and do, use those for walkthroughs. But Lij for a while was always the group that if you had to watch anyone's tag from the from those New Japan shows on undercard, you'd watch Lij's, and you combine the in ring work and the high uh, the high ceiling matches, the peaks of his career, and you throw in just the significance of it, the story of it, of Naito in his story kind of getting rushed by the New Japan booking team because he's always a guy that was pegged to be one of the future guys of the company, getting rejected and how much it might have, how much it must have affected him in his self-esteem and coming back with this new gimmick and the whole story of it being that he's acting like he doesn't care 
to like hide the fact that he really does care and like this is like a super important thing to him a lot of people can sympathize with that he's talking about you know the establishment how they want okada to be this they want to be that and bias and stuff like that and it's like bordering on this stone cold thing but it's more like in a tra- in a tragic way because naito was more so hurt that he got put in a position to fail and he's masking the fact that he does truly care and want to have his moment to be that guy and a lot of people like that and i like that too and i feel like that resonated for a lot of people and that made people that made naito uh, a, symp- a sympathetic figure to a lot of people and I think we combine just I guess like the triumph that his story meant to New Japan's uh, I guess how, how his triumph what his triumph meant to New Japan's 2010s and the uh, the highs the legendary matches that he gave that are part of that it'd be hard for me to not have Tetsuya Naito on my list um, I could argue I could argue having him higher just because I feel like his earlier part of the decade stuff is better than people give it credit for, but I feel comfortable with him here at nineteen. Yeah, um, like I had him like a bit lower, obviously not uh, insane. I guess ten spots lower, but I definitely get where you're coming from, especially when you talk about importance um, and being a guy that uh, that definitely was a big part of influencing everything um, throughout the uh, throughout the decade. Um, I mean, every time that I saw him at ROH, he was always, like, the most over guy, usually, in general, and especially, definitely, of any New Japan wrestler. And uh, it felt like his connection to CMLL and uh, and Los Ingobernables kind of led to, like, CMLL feeling more important and getting influence and working relationships with companies outside of Mexico. Um like being featured more it seemed um at least with like roh and um and kind of like seeming like uh there was more of a connection between cmll and new japan than just the uh fantastico mania shows um throughout so there was that too uh that kind of seemed to be an important part of naito uh this year and yeah so like all the stuff you said obviously really i mean yeah it seemed like he was pegged to be a guy from the beginning and uh, just had a little bit of a hiccup and a, and a run, little bump in the road. Just kind of checking it out, and it's like uh, we never got like a big Naito uh, Omega like match outside of the G One. And uh, it, 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 it's it's it sucks, man. It really it really does suck because like that became the thing of like who should be this, who should be the number two, right? And it was such it was such a like tribal thing, and like. I'm not sure any. I'm not sure anything really compares to like the vitriol and like disdain that existed between like Naito and Omega fans, and like Naito and Omega wrestled like that. Right. Like even that last match they had those two had against each other, the uh, to open up that 2018 G1 or 20 2017 G1, whichever one it was. Like Omega and Naito, like it's such a disrespectful match. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it would just it would have been nice if we had gotten because I was thinking about it in comparison to like the Omega and Okada matches and I like the, what we got from them I think I may have liked more. I wish that we had ever gotten like a big main event singles match from them outside of the G1 because they have that big G1 final which is like crazy good. Um, I just wonder what they would have done in like a in a title match setting rather than the G1. Yeah, it, it, that that's that's one that got away from us. Like more like you know for is like for everything that New Japan has done and like. 
always say that there's somehow, despite everything that New Japan has accomplished, there's stuff that they could that they didn't even get a chance to do. Right. Yeah. Like, but, like they did, like they didn't really get a chance to do Okada versus Nakamura in a big capacity. They like that's really like a big one. But people, but, like again, Omega versus Naito is a gigantic match that they just didn't get to do. Yeah, I mean that's it is crazy to think they they would put stuff off and like build and try to hold it off until they need to run it or whatever, and then they would end up like never getting around to it. Um, so yeah. Um, all right. Well, my number nineteen is your number twenty, Fred Yehi. Yeah, very that... close, very close. <laughs> that probably would have been our closest and our best chance of getting a match. They can't believe that. That that was the last. That was a last minute switch. Yeah. Damn, we're pretty. We were pretty close on that one. Um, either way, um, I think you've been talking uh, quite a bit lately. I think mentioning it here and there about how we have the really early Fred Yehi professional stuff and uh, just how good he is from the moment that he hits. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I can go back and remember watching the early, early stuff on YouTube, like back like at the time it was happening 2012 2013 um and yeah i mean from the second you start to see this guy he's great (laughs) like he really is like it's it's insane to think about and then he goes on to like win awards um and get talked about all over the place for being such a workhorse and like I think you talked about people on your lists being uh, people who deserve more from wrestling, and I think that there's nobody that that talks about more than Freddie Ahai at this point. But uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just like yeah, um, Fred from the moment like from 2012 because we have earlier footage of him like you know being being in being in the backyard. If you want to count that for his resume, like I don't, I wouldn't begrudge you. Like it exists, it's out there, and yeah, yeah become a professional wrestler but like from the moment we first have him and he's like facing off against chip day and kyle matthews and like his first year of professional wrestling fred yehi is already kind of fred yehi like is that, is that wrong to yeah say? no he like he picks up some signature spots and things that become like stuff that you look for in his matches but for the quality and for what he does He's basically from the second he starts, he's he's got his character, he's got his stuff down for what he does in ring, and he's basically the same Freddie Ahai that you see to this day. I mean, mechanically and all that, like he's super smooth and and phenomenal. But yeah, he's just like he's picked up some things that become his signature spots, but realistically, he doesn't he hasn't changed a lot, and that's not in a bad way because he was great from the first time you see him. And, and, and there's no one like him. Like so, like if he doesn't change, that's fine. Because like there's no one like Fred Yehi. Right. <laughs> um, Fred, again, random YouTube, random YouTube search theory. Right. Shout, shout out to Sam. Yeah. Right. If you go ahead and just put in Fred Yehi's name, I guarantee you, you will not find many bad matches on there. And even if you find a match that you don't think is that good, you won't be able to tell me that Fred Yehi is bad in that match. Fred Yehi a lot of time was working with complete scrubs. And Fred Yehi can make a match compelling just with his performance alone. And that's one of the biggest compliments you can ever give a wrestler. That like they can bring up someone lesser or make some or make someone lesser than them watchable. And Fred Yehi, Fred Yehi has that talent in spades. And 
we look at his like against like the crown jewel of what, 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 would he, what would be his run, and you look at that 2017 with him working and getting evolved, getting like a bunch of stuff in evolve and being the FIP champion, and he just busts his ass for that company all year long in such a ridic- in such a ridiculous way. Great match after great match, uh, versatile. No matter who he was facing, Fred Yehai always delivered, and. The trans- that translates to AEW when he goes up there and having having matches having matches with guys like um like a like Shane like Shane like Shane Strickland Eddie Kingston um translates even like you know in uh the couple of trips that he gets to do uh over overseas and wherever we wherever we get to, we wherever we get to see Fred Yehai it's always someone that's giving you high level effort all the time even when he leaves WWN and the random indie shots. Fred Yehai still good <laughs> everywhere that you have him, and we've talked we've talked about how ridiculous it is that someone like Fred Yehai, who was so prominent in a major promotion in a major factory producing talent like WWN, somehow didn't get a chance to be anywhere else. ROH, uh, WWE, uh, like the made the major indie companies didn't really start didn't didn't really but didn't really book them even a, even an impact. Uh, like nowhere really got when it was really like it, I'm not sure if it was an interest thing. If Fred Yehai has a has a has a has a job in his personal life that he's that he's fine with, and this being like a part time thing, but Fred Yehai, there's absolutely no reason why he couldn't be what Jonathan Gresham is doing. There is there is there isn't a reason for that. There's no reason why you couldn't have both of those guys going out there being your defining guys for that for that title for that for, for that pure title. It's absolutely bonkers to me, but when I see Fred J. High, I see a guy that for eight years, it didn't matter who you put in front of him, from fucking Colby Carino to Brian Cage. <laughs> like, like wh- whoever it was, Fred J. High is, could give you a great match, and he's been he's been good just for just as long as other people that have been on the just, uh, just has been good just as long as some people that are on this list too, and like you said you said it maybe the ultimate case of someone in wrestling not getting what they deserve because Fred Yehai gives you everything from the facial expressions uniqueness violence uh technical wrestling can be a great tag team guy can be can be drop dead hilarious everything about him screams someone that should be getting more out of wrestling but he just isn't but I think people like me and you and people that will sit there and uh, scour through YouTube or scour through whatever Southern Indies or whatever, we're always going to appreciate Fred Yehai and we're going to know the greatness of him. And as long as people like us will preach for how good this guy has always been, you know, maybe some maybe someday people people will go back and appreciate him. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it feels like that's what we're going to end up having be the case with, with Fred Yehai. But yeah, I mean, you talk about someone who can bridge the gap between any promotions it's like you take him from where he's at wrestling like you know early on having like people coming in to wrestle him like Davy Richards and having great matches where he stands toe to toe with him and then he can like he can stand toe to toe with you know Anthony Henry Kyle Matthews then he can go to Evolve and like Matt Riddle, Tracy Williams, Drew Gulak, like he can. No matter where he goes, 
the Zack Sabre Jr. His, 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 yeah, his, his Zack matches are really it's good. It's like anybody who is looked at as the top level grappler wrestlers from any place, he can show up there and be just as good as them, if not better at times. And you got like, yeah, like showing up and, and having matches with Gresham. Like it doesn't matter who it is. And no matter what, like they're, they're kind of thought of as, as being the top guy. It's like, he's right there with him. Fred is phenomenal. He was phenomenal from the first time I saw him, um, continue to be great all the way through. Like the, the, the Eric Royal feud in action was like one of the best feuds of the entire decade. I've talked about it already when I was talking about Eric Royal, but yeah, like just so good all the way through, uh, amazing guy. And, and definitely, yeah, deserves a lot more. Oh God! There's this, the, you know, the Slim J stuff oh, that was getting talked about. about that, yeah, the, you know, like the, the Slim J stuff that was getting talked about, uh, like in, in early 2015, and there's not to put Yehi high on the map really yeah. is that is that series and that stuff still holds up tremendously well. Yeah, oh, that <coughs> stuff is still great. I watched some. Of, I actually watched some of that recently as well, like a couple months ago. I just randomly was watching it, but yeah, it's definitely still holds up and still great. Um, yeah, I mean, another guy who who deserves the world and unfortunately has gotten what he's gotten we'll see i mean maybe when the world gets back to normal something could happen but the idea that wwe didn't sign him at this point is kind of shocking but we'll see uh my number 18 is jonathan gresham i have gresham higher my number 18 i remember you already had um is claudio castagnoli or antonio i had him i had yeah i had him way down i had had him at 47 yeah um, I can get that, but you start out the decade and basically, uh, Claudio is like peaking as the best wrestler on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. You can argue like, I'll give you that. Like he, you can argue that he was the best wrestler in the world. At yeah. This point. Like 2010, 2011, 2012. He's co- like constantly in the conversation. Um, I guess not 2012 cause by 2012 he's in WWE, but 2010, 2011, He's definitely in the conversation for best wrestler going, um, including also being in the tag team doing the Heroes of Wrestling or Kings of Wrestling with Chris Hero, um, kind of ending up that run. PWG stuff. I mean, the guy is just phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, you could say that, like, OK, then he gets signed to WWE and his career is over. But it's it's actually not. It's like when he first debuts, he's uh, they're clearly like wanting or interested thinking about pushing him he debuts in like an angle that involves um oxana and uh which is funny to think about and um teddy long he 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 he, he, he gets pushed pretty hard when he when he yeah debuts. and they oh, but that but that but that does happen to everybody though at the same time yeah but even at that time not i mean not you wouldn't i don't know maybe you would because he's so big you would think that he would get a push but at the same time he's like he's an indie guy and at that point they didn't really do that with every indie guy you know but he shows up he wins the U.S. title relatively quickly, I think, from when his debuts, and he's having like banger ass matches from the jump. Um, it just like slowly peters off, but as that starts to dis- dissipate, he jumps down to NXT and starts the 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 feud with Sami Zayn, which becomes like the thing that kind of puts NXT on the map at that time, at least for people like me and you who are paying attention. Um, cause it gets into where we have the, the two out of three falls match. And then did they eventually have a big match at a takeover or they, they never did. Right. Because like, well, it wasn't a takeover, but it was the first NXT. Special. Okay. So it was like an NXT special, but it was, uh, it was, yeah. 
yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and NXT arrival. Yeah. I mean NXT. Yeah, I think arrival. Yes, that was, yes, uh, yes. Zay, yeah, Zay, yeah, Zayn versus uh, Cesaro, and I think the main event was Neville versus Bo Dallas. Okay, yeah, yeah. So it was before it was Takeover, but it was like still, and it still, it was like again, like I said, putting it was the opening match on the first special. And it was kind of like they had already had the big two out of three falls match that was awesome. And then it was like putting NXT again, like on the map for something to pay attention to, at least for like nerds, <laughs> like nerds like me and you, which mm-hmm. at that point I was already paying attention to NXT. I was watching it on Hulu because even from the beginning when NXT existed, you could watch it on Hulu. Um, right. But then eventually it switched over to the network. But yeah, I mean, once they're not focusing on him on TV, he goes down to the performance center. Obviously, I think his uh, girlfriend, wife, whatever is, is working down there but he goes down to the performance center when he has free time and he puts on these matches that become legendary and part of what builds nxt into the brand that it is now um and then like i said he just continues no matter who you throw him in there with the guy can have a good match with anyone like that time period where he was feuding with like jack swagger and rob van dam and i think they ended up like having a three-way like a triple threat match like I mean, come the fuck on. <laughs> like, what? how much worse slubs could you throw him in there with? But he still kicks ass with that. Stuff like he always has phenomenal matches with, like, Sheamus. Um, Dolph Ziggler and him always kick ass. Him and Kofi Kingston always have great matches. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter who the fuck it is. He has great matches. Like, the few times that he's had a match, like, with John Cena, they have phenomenal chemistry with each other. Like, it doesn't matter who you put him in there against. He's able to have amazing matches with them. And then, like, the tag teams. Again, the, the Tyson Kidd tag team. The Sheamus tag team. Um, the Real American tag team. Like, doesn't matter who you put him in there with. To wrestle, to be a tag team partner with. Doesn't matter at all what you do with him. The guy just excels. He wins the fucking Andre the Giant Battle Royal. And he fucking power... Or soup, ah, body slams the big show over the top rope to the floor. Iconic fucking gigantic moment that should have made him a star forever. And they just completely squander that but like the whole way through it doesn't matter what the fuck he's doing this guy is just killing it out there i mean easily like i said before he gets to wwe he's one of the best wrestlers on the planet there's no fucking question about it and then he goes there and it does not stop i don't think that you can point to a cesaro match and say cesaro has ever dogged it it does not house shows tv pay-per-view main event doesn't matter the guy never fucking dogs it the guy brings it 110 percent. doesn't matter who he wrestles he can wrestle the fucking miz he can wrestle kevin owens he can have great matches with anyone like the guy is just too damn good like you know him and roman reigns wrestled a couple times great stuff like can you think of somebody who is as good as he was before he got there he goes into wwe and he's still just as good like there's not a lot of people who just have like almost flawless integration and just continue to be great unfortunately yeah he's this is i mean you want to talk about a guy who the wrestling industry hasn't given him what they deserve i mean sure he's been in wwe for almost a decade at this point he's probably made plenty of money but this guy should be a fucking star like this guy should be a top level guy and like be treated like he matters and instead they've just completely fucking squandered him but meanwhile he hasn't allowed them to squander him because the whole time he's just putting together a body of work that is like unparalleled like you get stuff that just stands out even to this day with like randomly he'll have a match with daniel bryan that kicks ass you know like the guy is just too damn good um to be squandered even if they have wasted so much of his career and he doesn't feel like a star i think in a moment's notice they could make him a star if they wanted to just let him go out there and wrestle and the crowd will get into it like even to this day the crowd still gets into anything he does so yeah just too 
too good to be wasted and i mean just too good for really what he ended up getting no like i said like this is the guy this is a guy that if you know things did shake out the way that they should have for a guy that's his talent and like has everything that you want out of a wrestler like there's no reason why this guy couldn't be a number one level guy like he has everything that you literally want to build around as a professional wrestler um and i feel like you know in, in a in a weird way you know like how i say people kind of get numb to, to the guys like uh like even like a ricochet or will osprey whoever or whoever like you know because what they do they do they do it so often people kind of like you know forget how incredible it is i think the same stuff applies to like someone like a brian cage and right here like cesaro like you see cesaro like do that crazy uppercut and you just kind of get numb to it. You see, like, his feats of strength, you kind of get numb to it, and you forget, like, how absurd it is that someone can be as strong as Cesaro and also do, like, the feats of athleticism that he can. Like, his fucking hot tags are legendary. Some of those hot tags that, he, that he's done on Raw, just going around upper kind of people, jumping over people, and just going absolutely insane are leg- is legendary shit. And th- this should be remembered more. A legendary base. Um... Some of the like some of the best work, um, came from like, came from seeing Cesaro and El Generico just go completely wild with wild with each other, and this is a guy. Uh, as I as I go through more as I go through some older ROH stuff, I'm appreciating the Kings of Wrestling a little bit more. Um, just for how ridiculous it is, it, ridiculous it was in context to see two guys who both have been claims of being the best wrestlers in the world being in a tag team together. Like I feel like was kind of underappreciated even by, even by by people at that time but that's uh, by people at that time too wasn't it um but oh, I feel sorry like, but I was I'm, muted like, there but, I was saying yeah I think it was it was one of those times where it was like a one or the other like I think that there was people who thought one of them was always better than the other so like you didn't really stop and appreciate that they were both so fucking great yeah and I feel, and that's the impression. That's what I've been getting when I go back and watch the, and watch some of that stuff. And yeah, from Hero to Jack Swagger to Tyson Kidd, um, to Sheamus, and very you know facing you know, all this all this stuff facing the New Day, his matches with John Cena, that one TV one TV match with Roman Reigns, the Kofi Kingston stuff, Dolph Ziggler stuff. This the guy it was a it was a constant highlight and. Yeah, if, if, again, perfect world. This guy is, is, a number, is a number one contender. This guy is right here in the same conversations as Chris Hero. And it's just, it, it's tough. But, like, you know, I can see him having anywhere from, like, where, from where as low as I had him at 47 to right here where you have him because the talent is that strong enough that, like, you can justify it. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, it's there. And you talked about it. The, the, the Kings of Wrestling are kind of the 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 framing to look at him because it is like compare Chris Hero's career for the 2010s to Claudio's and Claudio probably made more money but like if Claudio had been in the same situation that Hero was able to have the kind of matches that he was he would probably be in the conversation as like the best wrestler of the decade. All right. Uh, my number seventeen is uh, AJ Styles. Um, I have AJ Styles a little bit higher. We'll get to him soon, though. My seventeen right. is someone that you already said is Trevor Lee. Yeah, I had Trevor Lee at twenty-three. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
he is a guy that like yeah another one who the second that i saw him was just like taken aback by how amazing he was i had just started watching his cwf stuff and getting into him and then like going back and checking out some older things and then he shows up at pwg on like a random mystery vortex i think and i was just like holy shit i cannot believe i did not expect at all that he would be showing up because like i said i had been going back and was checking out like the roy wilkins stuff and the, the no rope uh title match and was just like this guy is fucking great and as we all kind of became enamored with a cwf i was going back to check out all the older stuff that they had online of his and like i mean it was it was just crazy <laughs> to see this kid who was not even i don't even think he was like 20 <laughs> at the time he's like a child um and to just see how great he already was as like a top level guy like the the main event the, the the person who could wrestle like like the most important wrestler on the planet from like so quickly and then you start to see him and he starts to get out of that comfort zone more and more so you got like 2014 is where he starts to break out we've got all this backlog of of, of awesome stuff to check out so i'm getting all enamored with that as he's like starting to to break out into the mainstream and then he starts to show the the depth where he's not just the big match main event guy he's also you know he can do crazy high flying he can do who like sprint matches he can do comedy he can do everything and he does all of it phenomenal he can be in the southern tags as like the best he can do either part of it he can be the best baby face seller or he can be the the face in peril or he can be the huge like hot tag comeback the guy just excels at everything he's phenomenal for from yeah like the second that i see him start watching him i'm just enamored with him i get like super caught up in all of his stuff i watch he like hits the peak for me where like wrestler of the year 2016 the epic cwf title reign that just feels like something that should be on par with some of the greatest title reigns of all time while also becoming like one of the biggest stars in pwg the crowds are in love with him he uh you know he's a big deal in AA aaw He's why the fuck did PWG not go with Trevor? It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. He's shows up in TNA and he's like running, running the X division. He's having like, (laughs) it's kind of funny. I think that uh, Caleb Connolly is now somebody else's lackey, but he was Trevor Lee's lackey first. Um, So yeah, the guy is just like amazing and does feel like he gets squandered, whatever. And then eventually shows up and, and gets signed in WWE and, I guess the rest is history. Uh, unfortunately, we there's not a lot of that that counts as 2010. Um, a lot of the like really really bad bullshit. Um, we get like a few matches that are okay in the 2010s. Um, but yeah, obviously this past year they've just ser- clearly decided that they just want to ruin him. But up until that point, I mean, he's got most of the most of the the 2010s. He's got a lot of really good stuff there, and he's definitely got like six years of just like amazingly great stuff. So, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a guy who I will even say, like, I don't know. We don't know. We, the cards haven't been dealt yet, but we have like a really good chunk of time for him for the six years. I think, you know, what's kind of fucking me up talking about all this stuff and thinking about the list is that that weird GWE mid mid frame thing is happening right now too. So I'm like thinking about people in context yeah. of GWE, but this is about the decade and for the 2010s. Yeah. I think that like 
Trevor Lee just has like amazing matches, amazing variety, amazing opponents, amazing poise. Like the guy is just for being like a kid came across like a world traveled superstar. Trevor Lee is like an honest to God prodigy. And I get it. He's been wrestling since he was like a literal child. But like, if you go back to some of that stuff, like in 2013, like him versus like, you know, stuff where like him versus Royal and him versus like Roy Wilkins, he's like 19 years old. Like Trevor is an honest prodigy at this shit and was wrestling like a grown man that knew what he was doing even back then. So by the time we get to his CWF title run, like, like so we're thinking like, oh, like, oh my God, he's doing this at 22, 23 years old. Trevor Lee has already been wrestling for so long. He's already so polished. And it's the most absurd thing in the world to see that this guy at 22, 23 years old is having like a Daniel, a Danielson, a Danielson esque title reign. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like it's like it's kind of it's kind of hard to put into words that like that's really what was what that's really what was happening. That's really what we witnessed. Um, someone with his IQ level, like, you, like you like took like a Daniel Bryan IQ and you put it in AJ Styles' athleticism. And that's like, like in a lot of cases, you take those two guys and you kind of like combine them together. Like that makes the best wrestler of yeah. all time. Like, like you know, like Trevor has all the all the talent in the world to be that. Um, TNA for some reason didn't see him, didn't see that in him. I don't know why. Like for the place that was where AJ Styles became the guy, Trevor Lee had like Trevor Lee is everything is all of that and then some. So it was weird to me to see him only be like relegated to the X division when Trevor had the size, the look, the charisma. Uh, everything to be elevated and be used as a top tier star, but you know they just never saw anything in him more than that for some reason, and you know that's the shame in it is that Trevor only could be that stuff really in his home promotion, even in PWG. Eventually, despite how over he got in like the window that was there to make to go all the way all the way with him, they chose Marty Scurll or they chose Zack Saber Jr., which aren't wrong choices I feel like, but like. Damn, like Trevor Lee was still there for a while. Why? Why didn't? Why did Trevor Lee never win Ebola? It's it, it's it's wild. It's kind of weird. Um, but Trevor has done it all from the tag team, the tag team stuff with Everett, uh, singles guy as a t as a t as a TV worker, as a long match worker, not just an event worker, like working long matches, um, working face, working heel. Um, he's he's given he's given it all. He's been he's been everything, and it's a shame. Like a wrestling prodigy like that, you know. And hopefully his story, you know, doesn't end up just him being sucked into the black hole, which is the WWE. But a wrestling prodigy that really has like all time level talent, and will and we and like you know we'll just never know what could have been. And like it's not just WWE; it's TNA too. TNA didn't see that in him, and it just boggles my mind as to why. Yeah, it is. It is an odd one. Um, my number sixteen uh, is Barbo Cavanario. It's not on my list, shockingly. Right. I mean, I he, I do um, like him. I shouldn't say that like I don't. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, Cavanario is. 
one of the people that just holds CMLL together, man. Like one of the people that just hold that just hold this fucking company together, and without him, man, this company would be would be a lot more unwatchable, as unwatchable as it already is. Um, from the time that we start seeing him early on, remember another another guy that's super young and was good and was good really really early on, but from all the stuff from the stuff with T from the stuff with T in, uh, you know, being in line with like you know Negro Casa Negro Casa and Felino. Um, stuff with stuff with stuff with Dragon Lee, the stuff that we we eventually get, uh, with uh with Vol- with Volador Junior, stuff with uh with Ray- with Ray Kameta and uh all the other title matches that we would that we would get that we would get to see him be a part of, uh, the, the couple of Best of Super Juniors tours being a highlight of Fantastic Mania, the stuff with Soberano Junior, uh, a guy that. For I kind I, I, I give El Generico points for this too, but a guy with a, such a silly fucking gimmick, such a silly look, but he still just is so good that it doesn't matter. Like he gets super, he gets super kicked and does a worm, and it doesn't matter because the rest of the match is so good and enthralling and entertaining that it literally does not matter. And this is someone that should be getting big spots. Main eventing anniversario cards because they're it because they're like he's the best Rudo in the company, he is, and it just doesn't happen. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get those spots. He has to just be like the workhorse Rudo, I guess, and that's fine. But like this guy should be the top of the company. This guy should be like leading things. This guy can carry people. This guy took Mister took to, took the second Mystico and had and had his and had a, a career a career match with him. And the second and, and Mystico too was never th- was never thought of as being like this great of a worker and was like panned and maligned. And here come and here comes Cavernario having having this like incredible match with him. This guy is a miracle worker. This guy could do that and then go over there and have like like go if he wants to go wanted to go like work lucha indies and bleed he could go work lucha indies and bleed and tag and tag team matches against fucking black terry and shit this dude is so talented so willing to just do all that shit spot fest pure strong rudo work being a mean nasty dickhead bleed with bleed with black terry he can offer you all of that and they just don't do anything with him. And it's frustrating. It's beyond frustrating. It's one of the reasons why CMLL, despite like for a lot of Lucha fans, it's hard to sit through because people like Barbara Cavernario don't get treated the way they should get treated. Yeah. And this guy, again, should be... He is an all-time talent. Another all-time level talent that CMLL is going like, to is gonna, is gonna go on the long list of CMLL squandering people. It's gonna go on that extremely long list. I I talk about Roosh being being born in like the wrong generation, really, for what his for what his strong suits are. Same thing, same thing for Babar Cavernario. Honestly, while Roosh would have been more like to me like a like to be would have been more like an EMLL guy, like or 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 UWA, I guess. Like Babar Cavernario was straight up put him put him in, put him in AAA in the nineties. Even early two, even the early two thousands, and that guy would have gone out there and killed that shit. 
he would have been awesome. And he's not the same flyer that some of the other people other people were. But go out, there, go out there and just let him be the foil. Let him be the base. Let him be the Rudo. God damn, he would have killed that. He would have been incredible. But here we are in 2010 CMLL where they don't know how to do shit with anybody. And Barbaro Cavernario is just there. And he'll have his good matches. He'll have his title matches. He'll have his stuff that makes the rounds and gets put on best of the best of the year on Lucha List. But he is never going to be what he should be. Maybe until he's fucking thirty in his thirties or forties, because that seemingly that's what it, that's what you need in order to get pushed there. <laughs> so, who knows? Uh yeah. I mean, it's luckily for me, I'm like kind of uh, not invested as much because it would be probably just as maddening as it is for you. Because he's a guy that even if I don't pay attention to lucha, when I've seen him, I really enjoy him. So yeah, I can't imagine if you're into it and you're following it, how frustrating it is. Um. My number 16, I can't remember if you said, and I think maybe you'd have, maybe you won't, but Kota Ibushi? That, uh, that's like literally my 15. Oh. Damn, we came pretty close again, huh? Um, all right, cool. So yeah. I guess, I guess technically he's yours, huh? Um, but, uh, yeah, Kota, I mean, obviously there's a lot of good stuff even pre-2010s from Kota, but like the 2010s is when you really start to see him get outside of ddt um realistically this decade is like the start of coda's like flirting off and on with new japan and then eventually becoming like a serious new japan guy um we also even get like the weird wwe stuff in the 2010s which was like i won't say bad but very interesting (laughs) um like I mean, the Cruiserweight Classic obviously is great. Pretty much, uh, most of the whole, the whole thing is like pretty pretty watchable. What is it? What is he like, like? Almost like all of us. Yeah. Brian Kendrick, um, TJP. Uh, who the fuck? Who else? Like it was like some ridiculous run he had. <laughs> that was. I mean, that was basically it. He also had uh, the opening with Sean Maluda, which I thought was okay, not a little weird. But yeah, then he's got Kendrick. You know what it was? I forgot that he wasn't in the final. I forgot that the final was TJP versus Dorada. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, his run is great. I saw him actually live at that NXT show where he wrestled Bobby Roode, um, which was weird. Very weird. Yeah. They had a Bobby Roode Kota Ibushi match that I don't think was announced or like. It just happens, and it was at a fucking dark show, our house show in Los Angeles. Um, again, I won't, I won't say bad, but definitely inter- interesting. But yeah, I mean, Kota Ibushi, wherever the fuck he shows up, you get something wacky and wild. Uh, even right now, I mean, in 2010, we get. He main events the first Evolve show against Davey Richards and sets the tone for what that company becomes. That match actually rules. Um, and yeah, it has like everything in DDT, obviously, constantly. Uh, the golden, there's some Golden Lover stuff. There's um, obviously a ton of great singles matches. And then, yeah, a lot of basically his entire New Japan run is in the 2010s. And uh, I mean, what is, what is there to say? <laughs> he's the double champion right now because of this crazy run that he's gone on. Um, he's enthralling. He's like, 
it's you can't turn away even if you don't necessarily love Koda and I think that there's a lot to not love about Koda Ibushi if I'm perfectly honest like I think he's probably the most like the highest rated most flawed wrestler like from this point on I think pretty much everybody I, I, I would like stand behind their game for the most part pretty solidly but like Kota Ibushi has his issues but when he hits and like he's the most interesting can't look away amazing wrestler that like that there is I mean the guy is just breathtaking with the crazy stupid shit that he will do the f- and like the effortless list nature that he can do some of the most insane things I think that for some maybe maybe it's more western fans and not so much in Japan but I think he gets overlooked for like Kenny Omega's stupid stuff and like the things like wrestling the 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 schoolgirl and wrestling uh Yoshihiko is like put more on on Kenny but Kota does that shit just as good if not better like you know like Kota does all that same stupid shit um he didn't wrestle uh, the the schoolgirl but he wrestles Yoshihiko and has all the comedy stupid matches and all that stuff and he's fucking hilarious but also like uh, amazingly talented um so yeah i just the guy is just like again like i said one of the most one of the more flawed wrestlers but like impossible not to want to watch and then like teasing like getting into boxing and kickboxing and mma and like doing like a igf random ass match like the guy is just like weirdly can show up anywhere and do anything and i mean he can hold his own no matter what happens um and then you've got stuff like the uh, the 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 Golden Lovers versus Young Bucks match, which is like this insane storytelling payoff to this huge like like emotional story like story that they're building up forever, and you pay it off with this phenomenal crazy match that's like overwrought and ridiculous. Again, it's another one where I can definitely see the holes in it but if you're into it it's it's great it's like so much fun if you get into it and you enjoy it it's it's awesome so yeah just uh just again like it's really hard like (laughs) if you hate kota abushi i'm not gonna argue with you he's like one of the the wrestlers where like i i completely get it but i it, it hits for me and i love it and i just think that there's like very few people who are just can be so unpredictable and feel so authentically like just not just a free spirit but a loose cannon you know and that's it's really fun to see someone who just has that chaotic nature but they can also be so fluid and dynamic and crisp and like talented like at the same time it's it's really a cool thing to watch yeah it's kodabushi just he's like controlled chaos a lot of the time he's like he's like he is so breathtaking but at the same time so extremely dangerous and i was become a meme like you know like the whole like psycho coda thing but like it, it he's truly looks terrifying when he does that it's true like he really is a skilled and dangerous striker he has a kickboxing background he is a killer like he really does kick that hard kick that fast hit that hard he is someone who has all that stuff and we think of him as a slippy junior but he's he like he is the perfect hybrid. Even more so than some people as they bulked up. Like, Coda literally is the perfect hybrid of the junior in heavyweight style because you can't act like Kota Ibushi doesn't lay his shit in. You can't say that about Kota Ibushi. And 
you have all and you have like this whole like this whole decade of work pretty much other than the short other than like the small break he takes but from all the from all the G1s all the best of the super juniors you know the golden love the golden lovers tag team the various the various main events he's been in whether that was uh in DDT with guy with guys like uh with guys like Dick Togo and um in Hiroshima and Kenny Omega or in New Japan and having classic match or having classic or having like classic stuff with Nakamura and uh in Shibata and Tanahashi and even that cruiserweight classic run going over there and you know to taking w, taking w, taking WWE by storm you know thank God he didn't sign just <laughs> thank God Kudabushi did not sign that yeah. contract and just didn't want to be held down anywhere and this this guy just has done it has done it all to the point where like where he is now is so completely deserved and you could say that maybe he should have been there earlier but you know Coda is such a free spirit Coda is such you know such a guy that like you know believes in doing his own thing and believes in creating his own path that New Japan didn't even know what like know what to make of it and here we are now where all that dust is settled and Kota Ibushi well took, has taken his rightful place as being you know being one of the guys and this guy is absurd on a flying level. If you want to talk, call him the best high flyer of all time, you could absolutely do that. But he's also one of the best strikers of all time. He like amazing close, amazing closing sequences. He could work on, he could work on the mat. Uh, the tag team stuff that we do get isn't like incredible, but he is very good. At, but he, like he is like you know, I get. I won't even say it. A lot of it is incredible. Golden Lovers is incredible. I guess I was thinking of like the later New Japan work with guys like you know Naito and Tanahashi. But the Golden Lovers are still really good for the early, for for early part of the decade, and I feel like they kind of get underrated as a tag team. Um, but yeah, like there's cases for Kota Bushi being even higher, and I wouldn't begrudge anyone that did have him higher. Yeah, he was your fifteen. Yeah, I could have fifteen. Okay, so I had him at sixteen. You had him at fifteen. So my fifteen, you already said a little bit earlier. My fifteen is Ricochet. All right, and I guess I could take. I guess I could take uh, the form of Ricochet a little bit. Um, Ricochet is just his his growth is fascinating because when you see where you when you see where Ricochet starts the decade off, he's already really good. Uh, different look, a lot skinnier, without all the definition and without like you know as much of, as much of the confidence. But he's such a likable baby face, like. At that at that point in time, you're getting you're getting you're getting Ricochet with the with that look, and he's such a wonderful rag doll for 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 bigger for bigger guys. So good at so good at selling from underneath, um, and you 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 can just want any Ricochet match from that period, and you're gonna be guaranteed to see Ricochet take a bump that not many people are even physically capable capable of taking. And you know you, we see him go to Dragon Gate. Uh, link 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 up link up with Shima, form the Spike Mo, form Spike Mohicans, and become a big star in Japan. Really, you know, Ricochet. This guy's forgotten. Ricochet had like the entire world at his feet whenever he wanted. Really, whether it was in Dragon Gate, whether it was in New Japan, whether it was WWE, um, whether that was and like you know, eventually he wound up going to Lucha Underground. But Ricochet could have been anything he wanted to be, and you know. Him being him being in Dragon Gate, then eventually turned to him being the first, uh, for for first you know foreigner to hold the Dreamgate belt, 
which is a, again a really big thing that shows you how much they loved and believed in Ricochet. Um, and this and this and this guy just keeps getting better after that, putting on more muscle, putting on more mass, and keeping that same agility, keeping that same quickness. You know, this guy is still doing six thirties right now, and you know, then you you kind of get to see Ricochet add more things to his repertoire. You get to see him, you know, play heel a little bit more because he's because he's like you know, learned more stuff, got more bit charismatic, can take cues from take cues from Shima. He has a mat game. His striking gets better. He becomes he becomes a guy that you can um, throw in there and he can up lead other young guys, other young flyers, and make them better. And uh, you know the perfect example of that would be like that would be like the Desmond the Desmond Xavier match, and Ricochet goes off goes off with a bang, I would say, on the Indies with his uh with 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 his speed with his PWG run to end to end it, uh with the Walter match and then the and then the two Chuck matches, you know considering you know where they where they both came from and uh and Chuck and Chuck being a big part in, Ricoch- in Ricochet's training, and in NXT. You know, it's it's been hit and it's, it, it was hit or miss there. But Ricochet did have some stuff um, that was that was good and looked like he was on the right track. NXT uh, before it just kind of before it just kind of got got clear that they already didn't know what the fuck to do with Ricochet. With Ricochet, but immensely talented, someone that like when like when you think about someone people getting better with time, Ricochet just got better, constantly evolved. Uh, worked well under a mask, which I feel like he, which I feel like he has to get credit for working without being able to really express himself um, as much as he could have before, but still be, but still be just as effective on Lucha Underground facing guys, uh, facing guys like 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 Rey Mysterio, uh, like Johnny Mundo, like Daga, and um, still feeling still feeling uh, effective, and yeah, he's a guy that just kept constantly getting better. And it's a shame, like he's such he was such a layup in my mind for WWE, and they still somehow don't understand what to do with a guy that can do a six thirty centon, can bump the way he does, can sell the way he does. I don't know why it's so hard to just let someone go out there and wrestle, but <laughs> apparently that's the hardest that's, that's the hardest thing in the world to do. That I mean, unfortunately, has been a common theme here. Um, but you talk about someone, or I talked about Claudio and peaking right before he signs and, and ricochet was the same thing i mean maybe even not really like maybe he was like a prolonged peak because <laughs> it does feel like when you look back on it ricochet was really fucking great for a long long time even before he signed but like part of it too is like pwg like he was weirdly hidden in pwg in the the tag team with rich swan there was a time period there where it was like it felt like why does Ricochet just kind of like do that inner city machine guns tag team primarily? Like why that, why is it that his main thing here when he's like clearly could be the top guy. And then eventually he gets there, he wins Bola and he becomes like the champion and has that last little run before he goes. But yeah, it was like, it was weird. Cause you were like, you mentioned it, but him having the dream gate title. And I think he actually had the open, the freedom gate and the dream gate title at the same time, which was like crazy to think about. Um, and it was like, why is he just a tag team guy here in like a fun tag team that does really awesome spots? But, you know, and then it was like years of like, I think like two or three years of being like, I think Ricochet could win. He should win Bola. And then he finally did. And then goes on that insane run where he even like turns heel, 
which I don't think anyone would have predicted, and he was great at that. Um, he had really good match with like John Gresham towards the end there before he left the Indies. Um, so yeah, just a guy who like did kind of close out his indie run with like having some of the best work of his career and even doing like different stuff that you hadn't really seen from him before. Um, as you mentioned that working under a mask, I remember thinking it was so weird that he was in a mask in Lucha Underground and, and he was really good at it, but I kind of forgot at the time that he had started his career in a mask really, or not really, but a big chunk of his early career was in a mask as well in Chikara. So I was like, oh, okay. So like, I just thought about that right now. Like, I guess he had experience with the mask. It wasn't like the first time he ever wore a mask was, uh, in Lucha Underground, but, uh, it had been a while. Uh, big chunk of time there in, in New Japan where, like, obviously they, they never really did much with him, but he would be, like, a really awesome focal point in trios tag team matches. Um, he would just be, like, a major standout and just do some insane spots here and there. But, yeah, just a amazing worker all around. And, uh, and yeah, like, I mean, you said it, but there is some good NXT stuff there to watch. I haven't really seen any of him on the main roster, um, but, like, even that last little bit with the tag team with Tommy N that then turned into what he did on the main roster when he debuted, that was, there was like some really good stuff there. Like that tag team with Tommy N actually was pretty cool. I guess, uh, Alistair Black, um, was like really good. So, I mean, he has some stuff. Um, all right. So that's, that was 15 for me. What was it for you? Uh, he was 32 for me. Okay. All right. I'm looking over my, my last, few people here and i actually think that you're gonna have pretty much everybody that i have left on my list you're gonna have them higher um, okay probably we'll see um and then i was looking over who i have left that you said you have higher and some of them are it's kind of crazy to me to think that we're getting to this point and you still have them on your list even higher but uh what is your 14 all right, all right you know um bad person is coming up on my list if anyone wants to skip forward and uh you know go ahead for like five or six minutes or however long this goes on uh my number 14 is will osprey okay that was the one that i thought was like the most shocking to me that you hadn't said yet honestly so um i had osprey down at 48 um and i don't know i mean maybe if we had done this list a few years ago i would have him even higher um, but I just, I got turned off on him and I don't think that he's ever really recovered. I think he's starting to maybe be recovering, um, and could be turning into something good now, but there's a chunk of time period there where I just really was not into him that much. So go for it. In 2014, um, you know, you know, twenty third. I guess like through 2013, 2014, you can already kind of try to tell that like how talented Will Ospreay was, Velocity Vipers, and uh, other stuff that's going on. But like, then you get like the uh, the second Natural Progression series, or the first one rather. I don't, I don't know. But he goes off and faces Zach Gibson in a really, really great match in the build throughout the rest of that year to will osprey becoming something is really great as we go as we go from uh you know that big that big three-way tag that ends with robinson well like the culminates of robinson turning on osprey but osprey turning in this phenomenal performance you know fighting by himself against the london riots um 
And then what we get from there is Osprey and Robinson are, you know, going are go, are going back and are going back and forth as Osprey is now venturing off into being um into into being a solo act and now Osprey's being positioned as the face of uh progress and he de- he delivers every time out from whether it's like thunder like whether it's like thunder bastard these like multi-man matches the first title shot against havoc super strong style whatever it is this guy just delivers every time out and he at the same time there's also happening like with him with rev with rev pro and rev pro with the cruiserweight title and him going back and forth with with matt seidel and you have all this good shit that osprey that osprey is doing and i can say that from maybe not 2014 I would say if you, if you want to try to 2014, like you can maybe say that he's like a top 50 wrestler 2014. Is that wild to say? Like like a top 50 guy? No, no, I could definitely. I don't think I. Yeah, I think he could. He could be. Yeah. And then like for after that point, I feel like he's a he's a top 15 guy at least since 2015. Like yeah, I th- I, like, I feel like he's like that for 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019. I feel like he is at least a top 15 guy each time and sorry that that's, that says a lot for me like i see a guy that completely transformed himself and got better as the years went on um if he becomes something that some people didn't like or you know didn't want him to really become then that's one thing but i see someone that like took their time seriously and got better at stuff and when we see osprey he's just like skinny dude that can do the that can do these flips but his striking is his striking kind of sucks and we see him getting better at working long matches. His selling, I feel like, gets better. He can uh he can work he can work a limb himself. He can sell he can sell a limb effectively. Um he can take he can take his time. His striking gets better. He can work a little bit more methodically. Um and I feel like when you start to notice when you start to notice the versatility is more is more so with that uh with that Shibata match he has for the uh for the for the open weight title, and from from that point on, I feel like it is off kind of off to the races with Osprey. Uh, people were confused as to why Osprey wasn't getting like the super mega push as far as with, with the juniors, but I think they were just taking their time with him. I remember hearing some stuff about attitude problems back there at the time. I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how much of that was true, but eventually Osprey does get his time, uh, being the guy in the junior division, and he knocks out and he knocks out of the park. Uh, versus versus Kush, versus Kushida, uh, versus versus Marty Skrull, and um, just going just going all over the place, being uh, just you know you know using his time to have, like have great matches locally, whether it was like Australia, go back to uh, go back to England and do something, and he's a maximum effort guy. This is one of those people that you talk about someone goes out there and busts their ass every single match. You can't have that conversation without talking about Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay doesn't take an off night. And that's go, that applies to like those random road to shows, any tag he's in. Ospreay busts his ass regardless of the occasion. And more often than not, Ospreay hits for me. I can think of maybe a couple of times I haven't liked an Ospreay match. Or thought that like it just didn't land tonally or whatever it was to something 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 that annoyed me, but look if I go from shit Travis Travis Banks 
Jimmy Havoc, Marty Skrull, um, Okada, Abushi, Tanahashi, Shibata, um, Robbie, Robbie Eagles, Jay Lethal, Walter, um, Matt Riddle, so many people, uh, shit, the fucking AJ, the, the fucking, uh, the fucking triple threat with him and Marty versus eight with him and Marty versus AJ. Um, he is a guy that I just always delivered for me. And he's a guy that kept constantly gets better, constantly getting better. Um, I feel like we'll continue to get better. Um, but for me being a, being a guy that's top 15, top 20 in the world for it's like since 2015, I think that matters. And, I'm not someone that thought he was the wrestler of the year back in 2019, you know, even though I think he was, I think I did have, I want to have him in the top five or whatever, Yeah. but like he, like he's like, that's still, that's still impressive. Even if I don't think that's the best year wrestlers ever had or something like that's still an impressive fucking year. And again, that just goes back to, to the overall point that I feel like for a real, for, for pretty much half the decade, this guy was one of the top 15 wrestlers in the world. Yeah, I had him in the top 10 for 2019. I had him in the top 50 for 2018. And then I'm with you that, like, I think that 2014-15, you could have him in the conversation um, for top 50. But I think that there's some off years there. Um, And, I mean, I still had him on my list, obviously, so I still think he's there. But just just not this high. (laughs) Um, That was your 14, correct? Yeah, that was yeah, that was my uh my fourteen. Okay, my fourteen. I think I don't think you said so. I think you have to have him higher. Is Kazuchika Okada? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. That, that that's next episode. Gotcha. All right. Uh, my number thirteen. I'm not sure because you had one of these had one guy earlier part of this system, but I'm not sure how much you uh how strongly feel about him. My number thirteen is Masaki Mochizuki. I did not have Mochizuki. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. I I uh, could definitely see it, and he probably should be, but I just uh, just didn't get him on here. Um, the ultimate bailout for Dragon Gate. Whenever they're in the jam, uh, whenever they're in the jam, you call him Mochizuki. He he can get you out of that shit, and he you might you might you might get one of the you might get one of the best matches of, matches of the decade, one of the best matches of the year if you're lucky. Um, this guy from the tag from the from the tag team stuff with Don Fuji to the Mochizuki Dojo to his Dreamgate run to uh you know in twenty in twenty in twenty eleven uh goddamn what is this, what is there to say about him you know from Big R Shingo y- Yamato Ben K KZ like. Uh, fucking Yoshino, whatever you want, whatever you need. Mochizuki is there. Mochizuki is incredible. The tag team matches, whenever he wants to bust out his big dive, you know, his performance, his performances, uh, in twin, in twin gate stuff. The dude is so good. And it was in his, in his doing this, you know, not really being the focal point of, of, of the company. Like I said, he's more of a bailout guy. And, I, I, I'm not sure, like, you know, some people, like, think Mochizuki's, like, like as far as, like, ever, he's, like, a top 10 guy, ever, and, like, yeah. I can't fight that when you think of, like, how long 
what Suzuki's been around and how long he's been good. But you literally you literally go through everything that Masaki Mochizuki does this decade. And he gives it all effort all the time. Despite his age, they're really you know normally the you know, Dragon Gate as a company where like you can't really say a lot of people a lot of people take off nights. That's not really a, that's not really a thing that happens there. A lot of people are working working there, they work hard, they bust their ass. And Masaka Mochizuki is no different and has been a guy that you could argue is one of like you know like a top five title match worker of the de- of the decade, just for when he's when he's out there when he's given the chance when he when 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 he's called upon to deliver something. I'm not sure there's anyone that had like you know I'm not sure there's many people that you can say like deliver more or deliver higher than Mochizuki does, um, and really there's not much to say about him because like Mochizuki's Mochizuki. He's not like he's not he's not the biggest star in the world. He's not the biggest star in Dragon Gate. But if there's anyone where it feels like, oh, who's gonna be in this match? Uh it's Mochizuki and whoever else. Or Mochizuki challenging for the Twin Gate title, or Mochizuki is doing this. He is the one person that I feel like unanimously people will be like, oh shit, Mochizuki's doing that. I gotta watch that. And there has to be something set up for that kind of like being that unifying guy across Dragon Gate because there are, there are a lot of people like you know in, pre- in previous years who were big detractors of Dragon Gate for whatever reason and Mochizuki is the one guy that I felt like there might be like some kind of unifying bond with that everyone agrees Mochizuki rocks yeah he does I mean he definitely does and he's a guy who uh, yeah, I probably should have had him on my list but just uh, just uh, oversight kind of I didn't really do much Dragon Gate on here which is unfortunate and I'm going to assume that you're going to have a bit more um, my number 13, I think it's possible that you don't have him, but I would be a little bit shocked, but I also don't know that you'd have him this, this high. Um, but the American dragon, Brian Danielson. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I admire. Okay. I wasn't sure. I know that you're, you're even more WWE friendly than me. So I would thought maybe you had him just higher. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That'll, that'll be next, that'll be next episode. And I'm actually just like surprised at how, relatively low you have him honestly i mean i'm not a big wwe fan so there's like a good amount of probably his best stuff that i just haven't even seen for this decade yeah but even fair. with that like a... i've seen a ton of really great stuff you know it's like, like yeah but it's brian like i, I, I get it well um, i mean he, most of 2010 is is all wwe for him or 2010s you know huh. yeah all right um my number uh 12 to move to move on then is uh shingo takagi uh i had shingo at 22 uh you could you could you could you could take away on him let me uh oh perfect um i mean obviously oh i guess i guess technically that would be a uh a dragon system guy kind of right yeah of course it is what am i saying yeah. kind of yeah of uh, i mean most of the dec- <laughs> most of this decade is uh shingo in dragon gate um i mean you hear people say that term. You said it earlier when you were talking about T Hawk, the 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 power junior. Like, I don't think that that's a thing, <laughs> except outside of Shingo. Like, I think you, that you, that you, you wouldn't you wouldn't call you wouldn't call T Hawk that. No, no, I'm saying like until Shingo. I don't think that oh, okay, okay, people okay. use that term or talked about someone in that way until Shingo. I think he he defines that genre of wrestler. And even if there was people before that who maybe fit 
the style. I think that when you when someone says Power Junior, I think that everyone thinks of Shingo. I think he defines that genre of wrestler at this point. Um, there's probably people before that were like, you could call that. But I think when you say it now, you mean Shingo. Um, I mean, you talked about Mochizuki being the guy that people who don't love Dragon Gate will still be into. And, and then the people who love Dragon Gate are also still into. And I think that Shingo is probably the number two for that. Um, I think that unfortunately the weird part about Shingo though is that that leads itself weirdly to like the people who do like Dragon Gate weirdly don't like him for some reason he's like the one guy that they don't like but uh, or one of the guys majorly that they don't like um, but yeah I mean from everything from Dragon Gate to even or yeah, Dragon Gate in Japan to Dragon Gate USA like maximum effort guy as well as we've kind of talked about throughout this uh to this day still goes at 110 percent hard hitting everything is believable stiff violent um aggressive and i mean one of the most amazing bases um just the way that he can effortlessly like grab people out of the air throw people's bodies around however he wants um still to this day being able to pick up someone like jeff cobb gigantic fucking just massive dude um yeah i mean everywhere that shingo goes like i think that people take notice you see him instantly and you like want to check him out we had that really fun run that he had in uh, all japan uh where he was in the champions carnival um where he got to mix it up with like bigger guys and it was just like what the fuck like <laughs> wish we could see this guy doing this more and then after that he shows up uh, in new japan and it's like okay now it's on and then it's like this tease of that he's he's gonna be a junior and then uh it turns out eventually he makes it into heavyweight and it's just like fucking crazy but, but you know but you know what but you know what even being a junior are you have one of like the best junior runs of all time <laughs> yeah i mean he showed up and he killed it it's like it's insane to think that like he showed up to this company that's been around for so fucking long and yeah just instantly it was like all right let me just completely de destroy this division he's in the that you know the best of the super juniors where will osprey is having the career year or whatever and he's the, one of the greatest years in the history of wrestling and meanwhile uh shingo's right there with him having just as good if not better it's it kind of yeah, sucks for yeah, osprey but yeah shingo's right there doing the exact same thing yeah and then he shows up in the g1 with him too it does it kind of sucks for osprey because it was it did feel like that was supposed to be osprey's time to shine and then, unfortunately, Shingo happened to come into the company at the same time and just basically... Oh, Shingo's like, no, 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 yeah. motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like, you're I'm not going to be the only one. And just effortless. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, too, is it's like Osprey looks like he has to kill himself and his body's falling apart every night and it's just brutal and, and he's going through hell and Shingo is like, motherfucker, I've already been doing this for 10 years. <laughs> like, where have you been? And he just does it and he doesn't have to wrestle... He doesn't have to destroy himself the same way, but he definitely sells and at the end of it looks like he's been through a war but it's like it doesn't he doesn't have to like he isn't like you're not hearing reports that shingo's body is falling apart which is crazy to think about this guy has been wrestling for 15 years maybe yeah, longer 50, yeah, 50, yeah, 50, yeah, 15 years and do you ever hear reports of shingo's body is in in bad shape shingo's 
not able to nope. walk around. Shingo has bad like you'll, bad, you'll, bad. you'll hear shit about you know you'll hear like you know she like you know, she, like Yoshino's neck or like yeah. Shima's knees. You never heard a, th- a single thing about Shingo. Yeah, and he's been going for 15 years, and he goes hard. I mean, you watch what he does, and it looks brutal. I mean, even compared to those people you just mentioned, I don't think anybody else regularly works a style that looks as hard hitting and brutal as his style. He doesn't fly as much, but I mean, he lays everything in, and it looks fucking nasty. But yeah, you don't hear. About Shingo needing to take time off, and Shingo's hurt. You don't see a bunch of cup marks all over Shingo's back, and he comes out there and he wants more and more. He can go and stand toe to toe with anyone, even though he's not really like a technical wrestler. You can still have the matches with like Shingo or with um Suzuki, and with Jeff Cobb just recently. But also, I mean, they previously had matches as well that could count towards the decade. But it is like he can go in there with technical wrestlers and still. Like, even though he doesn't work that style, he still has intriguing and interesting matches. He just knows how to work his style into their match. Um, he had fun match with Dan- with Brian Danielson in the past, similar thing. It's like a guy who's more of a high flyer. I remember the old the ROH match with um, Morishima. And I remember, like, how much that kicked ass. So it's like, the guy just uh, has a ton of, uh, a ton of, like, really cool matches with everyone basically brutal style like a hundred percent oh shit i think that morishima match is probably in the 2000s not even the 2010s now that i think of it whatever it doesn't matter anyways the guy is awesome um continues to be awesome and as i said to this day uh still can can show up in this company and just basically put their entire history of their junior division to shame in just a quick couple of years and then uh, move on to heavyweight to to then be even uh, even more of a badass and hopefully continue this run into uh into the next decade and just end up being unequivocally accepted as one of the greatest wrestlers of all time like he deserves um what you didn't mention there is um really like his dreamgate run might be the best heel he might be the best heel run of the decade (laughs) that's fair that's very fair like he yeah like after Shingo, we don't get really get a great heel anywhere until Jay White, honestly. Like, and Shingo was just incredible in that in in that in that uh in that dream in that Dreamgate run in that in that uh you know being being leader for Zerk, uh, in the Yoshino match where he went where he went where he wins the belt and going and going from a uh, you know Shima Gamma uh. Mochizuki traded trading the title with uh Susumu. Uh then go then then go then going on to uh draft about the Yamato, but in a really great match too. Um I think I think Shingo and Doi or whoever it was like might have chance for the for the twin gate as well. And Shingo was just so mean and nasty and just just one of the most evil motherfuckers that you'll like ever see in wrestling. And like, it's such a great heel run. And here we are in New Japan, and he doesn't have to be that same guy. He doesn't have to be like the lead heel anywhere. He just got to go out there and kick ass. And you know, as much as I would love to see him be a lead heel or something, like all, all he has to, when all he has to do is kick ass and just kind of like be like kind of an asshole. Like that's perfect for him. And he goes out there and just gets to tear the root, tear the roof down every every time every time out. Like you know, in the in in twenty nine in twenty nineteen. That's all he did to just go out there and have banger after banger after banger. And this guy, like, for like for his age, like, there's no sign in when Shingo is gonna slow down. I think that I think that's the beauty in it. It's like 
we see Shingo and we're like, finally, this guy is getting his recognition for how for how great he's always been. And the crazy thing is, we don't know how long Shingo still has left in the tank. We see like you know Ishi and how long Ishi has been, how long Ishi has been going, and how long Ishi has been. You know, even when like, you know been, was up there in age already by the time he got was getting that push in New Japan and getting that recognition. And Shingo's thirty eight, but like Shingo looks like he has like fucking six years left in him or something. Shingo yeah. looks like he can keep going for a long time, and. By the time that's over, you're talking about a guy that has been elite for 20 years. Like, elite, elite, like, best of the best for 20 years. And to me, that sounds like a guy that has a case for being the best wrestler ever at that point. And and I'm saying I will call him that. But, like, there's a real case to be made for the fact that this guy isn't slowing down at all yet. And, you know, from from the hair match with B.B. Hulk... In 2010, which was like one of the a straight up match of the year contender, the stuff with Tazawa, uh, various twin, various twin gate things when he turns heat, when he turns heel and leaves berserk, um, everything that this guy does turns to gold, and yeah, straight up one of the best wrestlers of all time, and a guy that we don't like, we, for his age isn't slowing down at all. Yeah, it's kind of scary to think about how much longer he really theoretically could go because, like I was pointing out, like you don't have any reports or history of of injuries. You don't have, like you said, any signs of slowing down. Um, he looks a little bit older than he did, you know, but in the beginning, but not much. He mo- mostly looks basically the same. So uh, definitely, definitely scary. So okay, top heels of twenty ten are like uh, Roddy Strong. Shingo and Jay White basically is that it is that is that the kind of the the going there uh yeah I I I, I would I, I would say so yeah I'm trying I'm, try, I'm trying I'm trying to think here maybe, um, maybe Gargano maybe maybe yeah yeah I, I would yeah I would I would give you that I would say uh, I would yeah I would say Roddy Shingo and um Roddy Shingo and Jay White would would probably be the best heels that we got during the decade. Yeah. I know some people are probably like, "Oh, the fucking Miz! Why are you not saying the Miz?" <laughs> like, uh... Uh, I think Miz <laughs> is a better babyface. I'm um, just kidding. Um, all right, <laughs> if, if babyface work was actually pretty good. <laughs> it's not terrible, but um, number twelve for me, I think you'd have to have higher. I can't imagine you don't, but it, I would not be completely shocked. AJ Styles. You, I already said him. Oh, you did. When did you have Styles? Yeah, I, I had AJ. I had AJ seventeen. Oh, okay. All right, cool. That makes more sense then. I completely forgot then. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, AJ Styles. By twenty ten, we're still getting some good TNA stuff, obviously from him. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, actually, we're starting to really like. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We're still, we're still getting like. Because at, at that point, that's like that's when TNA is getting all fucking weird. Yeah. But like, he he doesn't get credit enough for being like the like he was having good matches with Kurt Angle. Right. Like those angle ma- those angle matches are like for what they are, they're pretty good. Yeah. No, definitely. And like, I don't know. Like, was he the last like good TNA World Champion? Even I don't. I'm like trying to think. Like. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess, I mean, like as far as like having an actual like reign, I guess. Yeah, and just like seeming like he matters, like. And... I mean, I mean, like I guess, I guess it would depend on your feelings on someone, on someone like, uh, like Aries, I guess. Yeah, like the Aries or, or win, 
for the like when he did the the cash in thing maybe or like uh. maybe Ethan Carter the third felt like a little bit like people care but realistically I think like the last like good champion who like not only like seemed like seemed like a champion and had good matches would was like AJ Styles and like it kind of makes sense because when I, he I, left I guess I guess I'll give it to Rude but just because like Rude like started doing like the pro, the promo work and everything that was really that's good fair lot, that's but. fair yeah yeah he was he was not bad you're right um but yeah then we get we basically get like AJ Styles takes off uh wins the championship and, and is supposedly like leaving um then kind of comes back well but I, 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 I don't want to skip there I don't I don't want to skip there because like even as they're even as they're transitioning to like other people, um, like AJ has like maybe like Bully Ray's career matches. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the best matches Bully Ray's ever had. A lot of the, the Daniel stuff at this at these points are still really are still really good yeah. matches. Did um did they do um when did they do that? Like they did like a nostalgia three way and they like redid the um Joe Daniels AJ three way. Oh. Oh, that was that was two thousand. That was two thousand nine. But like, okay. but, I, but like, I yeah. But I but I still think AJ was a wrestler of the year. That wrestler of the year two thousand nine anyway. Right. Right. Okay. Um, but like, and then he, and then he has this iron this Iron Man match with Bobby Roode, like the third the thirty minute Iron Man, which again is Bobby Roode, so you don't like, think much of it. But again, like AJ Styles makes that shit work, man. Like, and I mentioned like so like you go through the early part. And it's so easy to dismiss because it's like you know early t early early twenty tens TNA, which is dog shit. Yeah. But you got the Dan, you got Daniel stuff, you got the Angle stuff, you got Bully Ray, you got that Bobby Roots, you got that Bobby Roots stuff. Then he comes back with his all like you know the all brooding dark thing. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and is having more more good matches with Angle has that has a good tag with Bad Influence. Like before, like before all that stuff where he eventually like you know leaves and does his own thing. AJ is still trying hard, and like all the best matches in TNA are still coming from him. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like even early 2010, when it's like, because it, at that point, um, are Hogan and them they're there, or they had already left? They're there. Okay, they're there. The, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's it's full swing. Like they turned AJ heel. Yeah. Adam B. Ric Flair's prodigy. Abyss has Hulk Hogan's ring. Like yeah. it, like all all that shit's happening already. And it felt like they were like. They were trying. It felt like that they were not serious about pushing him, but they also knew that they couldn't just throw him away. But he was still going out there and giving one hundred and ten percent and having great matches, as you're saying, constantly, even throughout the end of it. And then eventually they take off, right? And then it's like Dixie, and that it's kind of weird because it does feel like she should have been more focused. But again, like it just it's so odd that they never saw what they had with him, even towards the end when I thought. At that point, it was pretty fucking obvious. Like, I can get in the beginning when you had all these other people and you had someone like Jeff Jarrett who wants to push himself. But towards the end there in, like, 2012, 2013, like, who else do you have? It's very obvious that AJ is your guy. Why would you not just go with him as the guy? And I think what it comes down to, right, is that they don't want to give him, like, the money that he thinks he deserves. And that's what makes, like, kind of runs him off. That's, like, fucking insane. Like, he, they should have given him whatever he wanted unless they, like, literally just couldn't afford it. Because he was the franchise player. He was having the best matches. He was the biggest star. He was everything to them. And they're just going to let him walk. And, and again, I don't think TNA has been the same ever since. I think that there's a, a real major change in that company from the period where TNA felt like it may never have actually been competition to WWE, but it was clearly the number two. To, like, when AJ is gone, 
the company never feels like it's actually the number two biggest company in, uh, in America or the world anymore, ever again. It never I, feels I, like that again. I, I, I would say, like, once AJ left, the company didn't feel legitimate anymore. Yeah. And, like, despite everything that they did to shoot themselves in the foot and, like, come across like a complete joke, AJ still gave them some kind of credibility. Yeah. And once AJ was gone, that credibility completely left. Yeah, and they just don't have it anymore. They just don't feel like a player in the game anymore once AJ leaves. And then he takes off, and he, yeah, he, he shows up in New Japan. Uh, like instantly wins the title <laughs> becomes like the biggest most important wrestler in the world people are losing their fucking minds for anything he does he can show up wherever the fuck he wants and be the biggest guy in the world he has yeah. these insane fun matches where he gets where he plays grandpa buck and he wrestles in trios matches with the young bucks which is like you know stupid fun but definitely very fun and really cool to see someone like AJ Styles who's at this point been wrestling for you know a decade and is like longer even and is like seeing these young kids doing some of the kind of crazy shit that he did when he was first starting out and he's just having fun with them um man that 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 bucks and aj trio was just i remember the one which was the thing was ach sidell and cedric facing them and just complete like banger on tv I was yeah. like, good lord like i need i need more of aj and the bucks together yeah that's i mean yes that stuff was so insane it was like it was crazy to think about and it's crazy to think about the bucks in that context like again i mean we'll talk about them later but uh but yeah i mean that was so nuts and aj i mean aj the, during this time period when aj shows up and he wins the the new japan title like he was the biggest thing in wrestling i think outside of wwe i guess but even still in my world of wrestling he was like the most talked about guy he was it everyone was talking about him like he was the best wrestler in the world there was a little bit of pushback from some like hardcore japanese fans in the very beginning but then eventually everyone just accepted him and uh off to the races I mean. I think it, I think I think it to prove himself because like those Okada matches at first weren't very good because they right. were like it was like a lot of bullshit involved in those and then once he settles into the G1 and he like you know he has like the Minoru, the Minoru Suzuki match the Naito match the uh, I think there's a 30 minute draw that year between him and Okada in in the, in the G1 too and then he, and then he, and then he goes on uh, loses the belt loses the belt to Tanahashi um, and then. Uh, you know, faces Naito, faces Naito at the dome and everything. By that point, Okada has, I mean, I mean, AJ has like completely like, you know, uh, been embraced by the audience. So then at that point, once he like, wins the, the title back and goes on and faces, um, like a bougie invasion attack, AJ's already been solidified as like, okay, AJ is, AJ is like, not just like one of the guys, but AJ is a star for sure right now. Right. Yeah, and it was such a crazy time to see this guy go from someone that people kind of knew about but never were paying attention to um, because of the TNA stuff to being, like, universally accepted as the best wrestler on the planet and and just, like, so great and all this stuff. But, I mean, for someone like you, someone like me, we kind of always knew that. If you were paying attention in TNA, you kind of knew yeah. just how good he was, but you finally were getting to see it. And it just it's really weird when that kind of stuff comes to fruition because you, like – you kind of accept it. I think I had kind of accepted that he was just going to always be that guy in TNA, the franchise player, kind of like, you know, like how they had Sting as the this legend that was a big deal that was just always there and kind of biding his time. He would be like, you know, 1B to that that level kind of guy, the the stalwart, the, the always there. But 
still had so much in the tank that it's great that he got out of there and showed what he could do. Um, eventually, you know, oh, can't overlook, I guess, the RPW World Heavyweight title run. Um, obviously had yeah. some great matches in RPW there and, uh, and really made that title feel important and kind of helped get even more eyes on the British wrestling scene at that time because basically anything that AJ did, people wanted to check out. Um, can't, 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 can't forget his ROH stuff. People like you know, people only think of like New Japan, but like when he shows up in ROH, like you know, he wasn't a regular there, but like AJ is like God in Ring of Honor. Yeah, yeah, big deal there. Big big deal all around. Really, anywhere he shows up, uh, people lose it for it. that. That that, Jay, that, oh, that that yeah, that Jay Lethal match the final battle. Yeah, that was crazy, and like it was a big deal, and it kind of helped solidify Jay Lethal. But it was, I really like that match, honestly. Um, yeah, that's like, a great match. But like, it definitely helped like make Jay Lethal feel like a big deal. Um, so yeah, we come out of that, and he gets signed to WWE, and it feels like, oh, what the fuck? He debuts without having to go to NXT. They put him on TV, and pretty much off to the races. I mean, the face that runs the place, right? The whole thing. Yeah, like yeah, but even even but even the face run though. Like that's the thing. People would come around like upset that he was like with Jericho first. Like those Jericho matches were pretty good all things considering is jericho is jericho like trying to like keep up with someone that's like viewed as the best wrestler in the world and like all that but for the most part these are like really good matches and then they team up and then they have that and then he has like a, a couple really good matches with the miz teams up with them for the for the new for the new day match um and then and then as and then yeah and then as things go along then he then they, then they turn him heel and then it's off the race off the races from there but like aj it was already really good already by the time by the time he gets to the Cena program where he, where he turns heel, yeah, there's I mean there's no. That's the interesting thing about AJ, and I mean, it's pretty easy to look back on it and, and point to it and try to say like, oh yeah, of, of course, like we always knew it because we knew how good he was in TNA, but how seamlessly he just fit in every time he showed up anywhere. There's a little bit of a hiccup, sure, but like. You're talking about a guy debuting and being a top guy winning the championship in New Japan. There's going to be a little bit of pushback, but it was pretty quickly that he was just accepted. By the time, like you said, by the time he were into the G1 that same year, everyone's accepted him. New and WWE, it's a similar thing. It's like a few months of like a little bit of shakiness, but not much. I mean, the matches, like you said, were good. He just had to establish himself, and then he does. And he goes into this heel run, which I think that probably people would not expect if they were thinking just of like, you know, TNA, AJ Styles. But he goes on this heel run and then becomes like, like a guy. And now he's only been there for a few years, but like he feels like, like, you know, that Undertaker, John Cena, like he's a guy who's there's no chance in hell he leaves. You know what I mean? He's going to just retire in WWE because they're going to give him whatever he wants to keep him. And, like, it's funny because, yeah, he's only been there for, like, four years, but he's, like, fully integrated and feels like a big part of the company. Um, AJ, AJ, like, literally did, like, we came in and did, like, unprecedented shit. Like, there was no one that ever came from AJ's background being a major star in other companies and got pushed the way that AJ did other than, like, fucking Ric Flair. And Ric Flair did that for a year and then was back to WCW. Right. Or Goldberg, like they did try with Goldberg, and then this Goldberg shit just didn't work out. AJ actually worked, like, and not when like worked for a long time and got things that a lot of people just don't get. AJ was treated like, I think I think like for what I know, like the plan wasn't wasn't ever to treat AJ like that, but AJ just like Vince loved him. Yeah, 
Vince just loved AJ. Vince loved the competitiveness, the competitiveness, the doggedness in AJ. And AJ, like once he goes goes there, the, the Cena money in the bank match, I feel like is super underrated for how smartly and like kind of like how meta the storytelling is because everyone is like, oh man, Cena looks like a step, looks like he's a step behind, looks like he's kind of slow here, and like. That's the whole thing that see, that AJ is out wrestling Cena. That's the whole kind of the whole story. Like, yeah. it, 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 that, like it was like a, like a like a really weird meta story they told, but it was super interesting. And then they go out there and just have like the big bomb throwing a SummerSlam. But again, like they already gave you the super smart match. Now they're giving you this for your match for the for your match of the year sheets and shit. <laughs> um, the Dean the Dean the Dean Ambrose match really good. Super, super good. But people just like the Cena Ambrose matches really because the one where they where AJ wins the title and then um the the TL the TLC match the triple threat match against Am- against Ambrose and Cena, um going back and then going back and losing the and losing the belt to uh losing the belt to Cena but then he goes and uh faces Shane McMahon an awesome Shane McMahon match like you know what super that, that that's super fun the Owen stuff people view as people view as a disappointment. I can understand, but then that stuff gets 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 picked right back up as AJ has like Jinder Mahal's best matches, and then he goes out there and has like the Brock match that I think is incredible. Um, fast forward further and tw- further in 2018, this guy has um, the Samoa Joe stuff that I th- that I think is great. The the best match of the best match of Rusev's career, the Daniel Bryan the Daniel Bryan matches that are like stellar in. People like always. People said like, "Yo, man, AJ's kind of feels like he's slowing down. Feels like he's not being as great." And it's like, okay, man, like AJ's already been so good for so long. Like, if AJ decides that he wanted to like ease up a little bit, I'm not gonna blame him. But at the same time, for for that be like for 2018 to be a down year for AJ Styles, he was still the best wrestler in the company. Right. Like that. Like that. Like a down year for AJ is still being the best wrestler in the company. And now since 2019, he has kind of like t- he has kind of take like taken more taken more of a downturn. I will say that, but you're still getting good AJ. But you're still getting good AJ matches. Like there might be they might be more scattered. Might gotta go. Might gotta dig for them a little bit more. But you're still getting the good AJ matches. AJ can still work. AJ can still go. And yeah, like this dude. I think he. I think he's one of the five best wrestlers of all time for a reason. Right. You know, right. <laughs> like, you know, and this guy, I could have, I could have him higher. I maybe, maybe I should have him higher just because of like the degree of difficulty for what he had to accomplish here, going from TNA, New Japan, and WWE, and like leaving such a big mark on all of them. Um, but I get, but I guess maybe more than I should have. I, I accounted for like how like he dropped off in 2019. But like, yeah, I could have AJ Styles higher. Maybe I should have. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Like you said, even up until late 2019, he has really good matches. The United States title run in late 2019 still has great stuff. So it's it's it is weird to try to say that he's like slowing down or not that good anymore or whatever it is because yeah he's still great and it's interesting because I think that people I think that some of it is too is AJ has always been a guy that people like have an idea of that's not the real AJ be it that they don't think he's as good as he is or people think that he's like a spot guy I don't think AJ has ever really been like a spot wrestler like even by no, ROH not, he's yeah, like not, yeah you're not really AJ's always been kind of mean yeah. AJ is like has a like a like a, like a whole thing about him like it's not just like 
is AJ like the coolest wrestler in terms of like move set and just like cool shit he's done? Like, yeah, absolutely. He slid through. He he slid through the fucking bottom of bottom of a guardrail. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's like of course of course AJ's up there and like just cool shit. But like that's definitely not the whole picture on AJ. No, he's always had like a lot more depth to him, and he can and he can go like grappling too, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so that's my number twelve. Um, um my up. eleven you haven't my eleven you haven't said yet so I'm gonna assume we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about in uh the next installment my number eleven is the young bucks oh yeah we'll talk about it on the next installment and the same with my number eleven honestly um Kenny Omega yeah and I'm gonna have, I'm gonna have, and I have Kenny Omega higher so all right that's 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 gonna that's gonna be it for us tonight yeah um. Kind of, you know, kind of nice to have something to take to take to take our minds off of what was going on, you know, in in DC in DC in DC right now. But you know, I enjoyed it, and we're getting and, get, and we're getting near the end of this thing here. Uh, thank you as thank you as always, Timothy, for uh, bearing with me here. And we're gonna be on to the final part of the best wrestlers of the of best wrestlers of the 2010s. Thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. My man sit me up and said, tonight, dog, we celebrating. My son is going to college. I said, congratulations. He said, nah, you don't get it. It's two graduations. Him from high school and me from child support payments. Blackness. So happy because his check no longer getting garnished. Then he texted me a flyer with these strippers on it With eight different color type faces written on it I'm thinking to myself, damn, yo, this is a warning We get there, I'm thinking, damn, yo, this shit is boring After 35, the club's a different kind of torment Pretend to be excited, watching bitches diddy bop When you would rather be at home, watching flip a flop I took a flick and then I posted on my IG, yeah It looked good, but it was all lies like fire fest Before you hang with anybody, 25 or less Stay your ass at home and keep it low, that's what I suggest, yo all these numbers and nobody to call I just want someone to talk to tonight yeah tonight And nobody to call yeah. I just want someone to talk to Tonight, yeah Ooh, tonight, yeah, yeah.